and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by it in a major way. Today on the show, not just one guest, but four amazing guests. Jason Hamacher, of course, with the band Frodus and Battery, back again on the show, and I gotta say, even better, dare I say, even better than the first time he was on the show, back again. We also have on the show um, my good, good buddy, John, John Sweatpants from Give. Also, Dante Ferrando from the band Iron Cross, and also from Ignition, and also from Grey Matter. And all, uh, and finally, Alec Mackay of Faith of the untouchables of the warmers it's it is a jam-packed show we will have a great time because this is the live in dc episode that is right more on that in a second but first if you want to get in touch with me head over to damianabraham.com there's an email address there you can send me an email you can also find me on various forms of social media at Damien. if you would like to get in touch with me on facebook you can find uh Turned Out of Punk over at facebook.com slash Turned Out of Punk. And you can send a message to that thing. It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. Hi, Tristan. Thank you for that. And he will get the message to me ASAP. If you want to support this show, you can do so by, um, if you use iTunes, that is, by going over to iTunes and writing a review and rating it. And if you don't use iTunes and you want to support this show, you can do that by just spreading the word, telling people that you really enjoy this thing and letting them know that this thing is out there. Um, and if you would like to follow along with all the fun stuff that gets sent into this show, and you would like to see it, and you don't use Facebook, because we do post it on the Facebook site, you can do that over at Tumblr.com and turn out a punk at Tumblr. No, it's what it is. www.tumblr.com slash turn out a punk, I believe. Or no, nope, turn out a punk.tumblr.com. That's how you do that one. Sorry. <laughs> Just had to double check that one. All right. And uh, yeah, that's it for uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, also, if you do subscribe to this podcast, you'll see there's a bunch of other adjacent podcasts. This one, there's Clobbering Time, hosted by myself and Tom Bryan. Haven't done one of those in a while. We have to do one because we also have a live segment from this DC episode that I recorded live there where Tom and I met up. One of those rare occasions where we meet up in person and we recorded one. So we'll have that coming very shortly. Uh, also, we have uh, over on there Oil and Flowers, which is hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself. And each week we talk about, well, each week, each episode we talk about cannabis. And then there is finally Turn Out of Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by Chris O'Toole and myself, my good buddy and your good buddy, who is also an amazing part of this show. That's right, this episode that you're listening to, he's on the main show this week and last week and for the next couple weeks because we're doing the Turn Out of Punk live tour editions. And my gosh, they keep going from strength to strength. This one is incredible. I guess we'll get on to that right now. I'll finally, um, we'll get on to it now. The DC episode, my gosh, this is a monster of an episode. I kind of like, you know, putting together live bills for a touring podcast is difficult because you can't really book people too far in advance and you're kind of like at the mercy of who's around and who's, you know, willing to kind of like humor you by coming out to do this thing. And I, I struck gold with DC and I have to thank a lot of that, um, 
you know, a lot of that thanks, I should say, goes to Jason Hamacher, my good friend from Frodis, who, uh, of course, was on an, an episode got a, a while back now, an incredible guest, um, and also someone that's become a really good friend and, and someone that helped hook up some other guests for me, also uh, someone who uh, ultimately, yeah, got Chris and I into the Discord house to hang out with, uh, with uh, you know, Discord and stuff. We'll, we'll talk about that on footnotes, on that Turnout Punk footnote show that I mentioned. This is more about this podcast. Also, Dante. Dante, you know, does the Black Cat Club, you know, is a punk rock hardcore legend, played in a lot of amazing bands, uh, agreed to do the show, and then also was like, do you want me to reach out to Alec and see if Alec will do it? Alec agreed to do it. Um, then my friend Chris Corey, of course, you heard him last week on the show, CC. He hooked me up with John from Gibbs Number, and I got in touch with John and had John on there. And I kind of wound up with, like, you know, obviously there are some people that are missing from this thing, but um, I, I think I have a good representation or a good cross section, I should say, of different eras of of punk and hardcore in Washington, D.C. And so. I'm just going to let this show kind of uh, speak for itself from here. I do have a couple corrections that I have to make you all aware of. Uh, first and foremost, um, uh, actually, no, there's only really one main correction that to do this week, which is uh, I got to actually check on the correct wording of this because it's not my correction. Uh, this is a mistake that Alec made, and Alec sent me a text the next day uh, you know, correcting the mistake. And it's something he says in this thing relating to a story about DOA. Here's the text. I'm going to read it verbatim. So upset right now, riding home, it occurred to me that I said Dave Gregg pissed in a bottle when I saw DOA, but it was actually Randy Rampage. Dave wasn't in the band yet. So he wanted me to add this disclaimer and correct all this false information for all you listeners out there. But, oh, this is an amazing episode. I think you will all really enjoy it. If you are a fan of any of these bands, oh, this is for you. Um, I, I can't blather on anymore. Everyone, please sit back, relax, and enjoy John, Dante, Alec, and of course Jason, and Chris O'Toole, and myself on Turned Out a Punk, live in D.C. <laughs> Yeah, there's a come on stage. Got a great game tonight. Welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk Live. I am your host, Damien Abraham, but with me is my good friend, and now your good friend, Chris O'Toole. 
Chris, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. So, Chris, what do we do at Turnout of Punk? We talk about music, right? Yes. Anything and everything uh, related to punk, primarily. Yes. <laughs> Tell someone works in the music biz. Coming up there, professional. Um, we talk about punk rock. We 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 t- interview. I interview people that have been into this music, discover this music as young people. Maybe are still involved in it, but you know, really found that it changed their life in a profound way. And I've gotten to interview a lot of different people, a lot of really interesting people. And at a certain point, Chris and I were having these conversations after every interview that I would put out there. And eventually we decided, let's just turn this nerdy, nerdy conversation into a podcast for everyone to share. And so we did Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. So tonight, and I'm super excited about this because I, there's a lot of people here tonight that I've never talked to before in my life. So I'm very excited to interview them. But after these interviews, Chris is going to come up here and we're going to get... We're gonna get super nerdy. We're gonna talk about like pressing information of seven inches, record labels, bands that ex-members went into, like, yeah, ew. Believe me, bring a book for that part if you don't like nerdy stuff. <laughs> but Chris, should we get the show on the roll? Yes, we should. Okay, well, let me uh, play your exit music <laughs> and play our entrance music for our first guest. I'm gonna, I'm I've been, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I've been lucky enough to have a bunch of guests on the show, uh, and some of these guests have come back for part twos, and some of these guests I've wanted to have on for part twos and just haven't had the chance to yet. The first guest tonight is someone that I've wanted to have on part two forever. The first guest tonight is one of the funniest people I've ever met. We hung out one day and just, we, we like hung out so hard that he nearly missed his plane and recorded a podcast. Welcome to the stage from Frodis and Battery, the man, the myth, the legend, the person that ruined the Converge DVD release party according to the band Converge, Jason Amarcar! Oh wait, which chair? I'm a DJ. <laughs> I was, it was implied that there was some ruining involved <laughs> of the Q and A portion, of just the Q and A portion. Such a bum out. Well, in a good way. Like he was like, it was like a, oh, he ruined it. I love him, kind of way. You know, not like he ruined it. I hate him more than anything. He ruins a lot. Of well, he didn't ruin my podcast. He saved it that day oh, by, Lord. by making one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> Jason, how are you doing, buddy? I'm here to bum all of you out this evening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. It's amazing we show up in Dante. We're talking backstage. And it was it Dante. Someone's like, let's watch what Jason says on stage tonight. <laughs> I'm going to be team. <laughs> but Jason, thank you for coming back to do this hey. with me again. I'm excited we could do it. Well, this is like, uh, you know, this is like, with the part twos, it's always interesting because, like, the first show is so structured. You know, I know exactly how it's going to go. It flows. But with these part twos, I think it's a lot more of a hang this time. More of a hang. More of a hang. So the first time I did this, uh, I had to go to Canada. I did a speaking tour, and I very last minute got an opportunity to do 
television interview in Toronto. Cue, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, for those and people that, and whatever you identify as that do not know, Cue is a hugely popular Canadian morning show. That is our. Uh, <laughs> I was. It's a morning show. It's a morning show. It's on like 10 a.m. or something. <laughs> like, were you swearing? Did you do blue material? <laughs> no, no, no. He's like, I'm working blue today. I didn't really know what it was. It's like a. It's like a well morning show. It's on at 10 a.m. And uh, I guess like imp- the the last show was a piece. The, sorry, the, the last host of the show, like way back, uh, was a piece of shit. They fired yeah. him. He got yeah. put on trial. But you didn't get interviewed by him. You got interviewed by a, Shad. by Shad, who's a good friend of mine, who's since been let go. But not because he was a piece really? of shit like the old host. Yeah. Hey, is it, who's got Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> is that boring for you, Jason? No. Do you not, so Shad is the host of this new hip hop. Oh yeah. Uh, four-part series on Netflix. That's amazing. It's amazing that thing. The and evolution of hip hop. I think. Yeah, it's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. It was really, really good. I just watched it last week. Yeah, he's and he's one of the the coolest, like smartest people. Too good for that show. So when he took over the show, NPR here in DC started airing it. It's always like, "What's up? I'm Shad." <laughs> and so when I was on the air, I was like, "What's up? I'm Jason." And they're like. Um, we're gonna need to redo that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. It's like, was that offensive? It's like, no, nah, it's cool, but the producer just wants you to do it in your voice, not mine. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. So it's not just converge Q and A's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've ruined uh, <laughs> lots of things. Well, elegantly. When they fired the old host before Shad came in, they had like a couple months where they didn't have a host, right? So they were like, uh, we're just gonna get different people to fill in. And I was the first one they got in. And you see I'm wearing glasses now? That's because I realized I can't see anymore. At that time, I didn't know that. So they give me these scripts every day, and I'd be like, um, So every day, it was like, it was probably the worst experience of my life being on that show. But what's funny is, is, Especially as like, you know, being adult, like we both have kids, is a lot of times when I think of my friends, my music friends, I know them from music, period. Mm -hmm. I don't relate to anyone and how they function in regular life, (laughs) right? I hear that. No, but but seriously, like, like, for example, like... uh, I'm not even giving you an example. It doesn't matter. But so, you know, I've oh, got... I, 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 can I give you an example? Yes. Do you, like, you remember a couple years ago, the Vivian girls in an interview on Brooklyn Vegan said that they don't relate to normal people. And everyone got super pissed. Like, everyone's like, fuck you, blah, blah. But I don't think they were, like, speaking down about normal people. I just think, yeah. like, once you've been involved in this scene for, you know, it, it affects the way you relate to yeah. others. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, when you meet someone, I kind of have a... I have a really good memory when I meet people, usually. And that is what is ingrained in me. And so when, when someone starts talking about an individual outside of music, it always throws me off. So I'm super exhausted. I've been on this week speaking tour. I flew in to Toronto from Philadelphia and had a friend drive my car home. I get a rental car to drive down to central Toronto and the rental car company didn't exist. My car wasn't there. Uh, I was super late. I get in and then I was there like, what are you going to do when you're in Toronto? I was like, I don't really know. I was like, my friend does this podcast and I throw out Damien and they're like, 
oh, he used to host this show. And then they freaked out on me for him. And I was like, oh, whoa. So, like, I didn't know Damien in, like, the professional world. But that's kind of where I was going. It was like, like the skill set, like, the personality or the, the interpersonal skills that you learn going on tour and all this kind of stuff sometimes can translate into the real world. And then having the real world accept it or uh, reflect positively on it is always really, really interesting. And I brought it up just because I had no idea Damien was even involved with well, I wasn't. Toronto. <laughs> they didn't hire me after the, my guest spot. <laughs> they were like, all right, see you later. And I'm like, okay, see ya. Bye. Yeah. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. But we actually met years ago, and I told this story on the, the podcast because I saw Frodis play at the Burl Oaks Community Center. And I don't think we talked about this the first time that you were on the podcast. So I was super shocked. Tell the story because I didn't know. You didn't tell me the story until I went back and listened to it. And I was the one that wrote that postcard. Okay, so here. I didn't tell that story to you on the air? No. Okay, so I want to see Frodis. And, like, Frodis is an amazing band. Like, you know, don't don't listen to this part. Um, And I, but, like, you guys were so unlike every other band. Correct. (laughs) It was, it was. That bill was Sons of Abraham. <laughs> we became Glassjaw, but at that point it was not Glassjaw. And it was like, I can't remember who else played, but then Frodo's played, and you guys were hilarious, being weird on stage. And it was just like the antithesis of Burl Oaks hardcore in the late 90s. And yeah. I met you guys at the show. It was like, these guys are awesome. Filled out like a, a mailing list, and like you, you do for bands, and then they, they never write you. And then so, you know, I, it was like a couple months later, I hated school, didn't get along with anyone there, no one liked the music I liked, and I came home, like, defeated one day, and I, and I go through the mail, and what's at my house, at my parents' house, because I, I was a kid, uh, was a postcard, a Calvin Klein postcard of a guy reclining on a beach, and crossed out was the words Calvin Klein, and written underneath was Frodis in pen. And then on the backs, it was like, watch channel, I'm going to scan this and put it up online, but it's like, watch channel, blah, 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 on Friday night, see you, Frodis. And that was sent to me. Yeah. We had no meaning whatsoever. We didn't have any. We we just thought it'd be hilarious, like, send some random guy that put on the mailing list some weird Calvin Klein (laughs) postcard. Do you remember that fat kid that signed our mailing list a couple weeks ago? Let's really fuck with him. Let's send him his postcard. Let's give that guy a Calvin Klein card. Well, I was on this really weird lingerie kick. Because this is true. So, <laughs> Shades of Converge coming up, everyone. <laughs> so, when uh, Frodo's toured Europe the first time, we'd always fly, we, the couple times we did, we'd fly into Sweden, and we flew into Gothenburg, Sweden, and our friend came and picked us up, and we walked, we were going to the booking agency, Morgan's place, that's our friend, and uh, we had to walk through the mall. The Gothenburg National Mall, or whatever the hell it is. So we're walking through the mall, and then in a single file, single file line was like 15 male models all wearing whitey tighties. Unannounced, super weird. I was like, what is happening? I have video of all of this stuff, right? I was like, dude, get the camera out. 
We gotta see what the hell this is. You gotta put up this Frodus video footage. Yeah, like, I know. He's telling the stories backstage about ECW wrestlers tow trucking or having to tow their car yeah, yeah. and like He's, all this. Uh, stuff. I have weird stuff happening pretty regularly. It's <laughs> true. And uh, so we were walking. I was like, dude, get the camera out. We get on the second floor, and all these male models just. <laughs> form a u-shape i was like what the crap and we're all super like super uh jet lagged and i always can't sleep and stay up i thought you were gonna say super high no no. (laughs) haven't gotten to that realm yet we're still you know and uh we're sitting there and i was like this is so weird and then this one this woman comes out in like six inch stiletto heels with platinum hair playing electric violin <laughs> from Iceland. I was like, what the hell is happening? And she was like Mrs. Iceland and was super into playing violin and it was it was uh, Beyond Borg, the tennis player that had the big John McEnroe. Yeah. Yeah. Sports? <laughs> He's immortalized in the song by the Rude Kids. Yeah. Next time I'll beat Bran Bjorn. It was a Beyond Borg. Oh, that's how you say it. <laughs> I am not saying it correctly. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Beyond Borg. Beyond Borg. It was Shane Borg. Next time I'll beat him. Next time I'll beat him. Who? Beyond Borg. Beyond Borg. No. It was a brief fashion show. It was just like in the middle of the ball. It was like a pop-up brief fashion show with this Icelandic professional violin player in a one-piece bathing suit. And I was like, that is the weirdest possible thing to walk by in getting off the plane. So I was on this huge, <laughs> random ass kick because of that. Did this begat so, the kick? You're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So you're like I love lingerie. <laughs> so I started to collect all these weird little postcards that they gave out in, in uh, you know, at venues or whatever, and then we would send them to people. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, that made my day. And I that stands out in my mouth. I kept that postcard, like, and it really, Though it mystified me and confused me to no end, and I tried to figure out, like, Mission accomplished. like is it on channel in Canada? <laughs> like, how would they know what channel they're going to be on in Canada and what time? But it also, like, you know, as a kid that felt, like, so alone in their community of pe- peers, to yeah. get that, like, it was like someone throwing a buoy to me from a ship as I'm, like, in this ocean, you know? Like, it's like, oh, there's other people that are weird and freaks and... <laughs> Years later, I'm friends with him. I am your man who will fight for your... Um, come on, Karate Kid 2? That's a... F you guys. <laughs> Okinawa? I used to play that on Atari uh, all the time, and they would do that music, but in, like, MIDI. It's like, do, 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 do. Dude, in do, fifth do, grade, do. for real, in fifth, so I lived up in Florida. In fifth grade, they played that movie for free. <laughs> in Satellite Beach, and I had a massive argument with my mom. My birthday is July 5th, so for my birthday, I wore a jean jacket <laughs> that my mom did not want me to wear. 100% against my parents' will to go see Karate Kid. <laughs> and then after, me and all my friends, you guys remember they do that little... We were just like, go, go, go. We were like outside. I'll just show you. This is really embarrassing, but... No, it's not. So, like... Who has seen Karate Kid 2? Raise your hand. 
Well, if you have, you've got some serious amount. So there's like, there's like, you know, Mr. Miyagi had this thing, and he would do this. It's like, it's like a little drum with two little arms. Yeah, the bulbs going. And then instead of doing the crane kick, instead of doing the crane kick from the first one, it was this like arm swing punch. It was like, and that was inspired by Mr. Miyagi's thing. So imagine a bunch of really weak mullet-haired kids in these acid wash $15 jean jackets outside of Karate Kid. Just like, that movie was so awesome! Like in a strip mall on A1A in Florida. (laughs) While listening to Metallica on a boombox that was battery powered. Straw dog. Yeah! (laughs) It'd be worse if your mom rolled up and saw you wearing the forbidden jean jacket doing that too. Dude, you just uh, you just did thing a lot. I'm gonna tell you my most. Did I tell you this story? No. About Rancid? No. Oh my gosh, this is my most embarrassing. (laughs) It had to do with my mom. I was thinking about. So. (laughs) So why not tell everyone live on some freaking podcast? Tell it. Tell it. So in 1993, I was going to do this tribute to Operation Ivy. I love Operation Ivy. And I had all these bands on it. It was going to be like Sick of It All and Voodoo Glow Skulls, Bouncing Holy Skulls. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like legit. Because there's a terrible tribute to Operation Ivy comp with like none of those bands yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so I had all this going on and I would use um, – I would call – Matt, what's the bass player? Matt from Rancid. Yeah, Matt Freeman. Yeah, so I call Matt Freeman, like, I was in 11th grade, or 12th grade, <laughs> or whatever, right? And trying to sound super... How did you get his number? <laughs> I could get anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just super persistent. <laughs> that is how I got into, like, these weird... Trips to the Middle East, like all this stuff. Just did like, you like? Did you meet him at a show? And just not like, at all. Give me your no, digits, dude. No, I actually don't even remember. Like, I just call people. I just call people and talk. Dante can verify. <laughs> Hi, I'd like to play at your club. Yes, we are seventeen. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, I would just call, and then I ended up meeting. Stormy Shepherd, yep. their booking agent that booked all those bands, then Stormy gave everyone's number to me, right? Oh. right. <laughs> and so... Just what you want your booking agent to do. Yeah, yeah. Give this high school kid my number, but please. I was in high school. So, so <laughs> I'm organizing this whole Operation Ivy comp, and I'm trying to sound super pro, and this is my most... This is my most embarrassing moment in life. So... I have to call Matt Friedman from Rancid to tell him the update on what's going on. <laughs> this sucks so bad. You will feel my pain in like two seconds. So I'm on the phone with Matt Friedman. He lives in, at this point, he lived in like Seattle or something. It was like 11 o'clock on a school night. So I'm on the phone trying to be all professional. Like, well, I've you know, talked to Lou from Sick of it all. And, you know, got all these guys ready to roll. I got studios in Boston and in Atlanta. They were ready to donate time. It's going to be amazing. My mom gets on the goddamn phone. <laughs> in the other room, no joke. Dude, this is so horrible. She's like, Jason, what are you doing on the phone? I was like, oh my God. 
It's like, Mom, I'm talking to Matt. No, I didn't say Mom. I was like, I'm talking to Matt on the phone. I'll get off on a second. Trying to pass her off as my roommate, right? <laughs> and then it just gets so much worse. Like, this is your mother. You do not talk to me. I was like, God damn. <laughs> Matt, and I go into my parents' room. My parents are in their bed. The lights are off. I was like, do not talk to me like that. She's like, don't talk to you like that. I was like, I will deal with this. I'm like trying to start a record later. This is like such a horrible. So then, so then I go, I go in. This is right. He's sitting on hold. Matt's reading from Operation Island on the phone as I'm arguing my parents in their bed. And this is right before Ranson played Black Cat, old Black Cat, for the first time. So I was like, yeah, I'll see you at the show. I'll fill you in on everything. And then um, I walked back in the room, and I told my mom, I'll tell her everything, like, what's going on tomorrow. And I was like, um, I don't know what to say. And he's like, I remember those days. I was so embarrassed that I didn't even talk when they played, let's see, Black Cat, but old Black Cat. I didn't even introduce myself, nothing. I did not even tell him who I was. I was so mortified. And then what happened with the comp is, is um, Don Zinatar from Inner Ear offered to record Frodis for the first time, and then I just spent all the money on that first <laughs> And then bailed did, on the op I Did they pick the songs already? Did they know which songs they want to do? No, well, Rancid had recorded uh, an op Ivy song from, like, practice. Okay. And I talked to Jazzy, like, Schlong was going to do it, and Voodoo Ghost Skulls was going to do it. Like, all these bands. It was inspired by that horrible Embrace comp. Oh, the Embrace comp. Land of Greed, or <laughs> yeah. what was it? Yeah. World of Need or something. I was like, oh, I should do one for Op Ivy. And then... Uh, Rancid's on that comp, though. Exactly. And Lifetime. That's, that comp's got a crazy lineup. Except for the Ordination of Aaron song. Well, you don't like that one? It's horrible. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, Matt Weeks, if you're listening, your song sucks. <laughs> oh, he's going to be pissed, dude. He is going to be pissed. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm, I'm pretty, you probably didn't get something wrong, but I've got a really good story of Matt Weeks. He was in this band called Ordination of Aaron and also a band called the Ottawa. We did a split with Jihad. That's, this is one of the best heckles. This is one of the best heckle stories. Ottawa side, indisputable. Yeah. Right? Awesome. Awesome. So, first playing a show in Chicago at this club called the Fireside Bowl. And it was Frodis, Jihad, Charles Bronson. Right? And so, Matt Weeks is the singer for Jihad. They, there's this 12 inch. Does anyone know this? Does anyone know about this record? There's like three of us, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yes! Yeah. Four now. Five. So the Ottawa side is incredible. It's, it's so a, good. It's a pretty definitive record from the from the mid late nineties. Would you say it's like the best yes. side of a split twelve inch from the nineties? Like a split twelve inch. They're good split seven inches. <laughs> but you got a little crudo spit boy split. Uh Left 4 Dead Acrid split. Uh yes. 
Neb- I can't think of anyone. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just even <laughs> your story, your story. I'm sorry. No, no, it's just like it, it is. It is such a really good. But he's a really big Tolkien fan and a really big. <laughs> they have like a bunch of like Lord of the Ring samples from the Lord of the Ring cartoon <laughs> on the LP. <laughs> He's got the Tolkien logo tattooed on the back of his leg. <laughs> I met him from, on the very first Rotus U.S. tour. We broke down in Arizona, and there's a in Tempe, Arizona, for like a week. That's a whole other story. That's horrible. So we're in Tempe, Arizona, for like a week, getting our transmission rebuilt. And there's a record store called Eastside Records. So we go to Eastside, and we see some kind of wildness going on. There's this guy that turns out to be Matt Weeks, I was like, dude, check out, there's a guy at the, there's like a cross punk at the payphone with a Tolkien. <laughs> going on. And so we're going, we're going, it's like me and Shelby, uh, we're walking into the, to, to the inside records. And so Shelby's also a big Tolkien nerd. And so we, uh, was like, dude, what's going on? He's like, oh, my name's Matt. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, do you live here? He's like, oh, I'm from Michigan but I'm going to school here. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, what were you doing on the payphone? He's like, dude, this, this rent-a-cop sucks. So I called America's Most Wanted and, t- and told America's Most Wanted that this rent-a-cop was one of the guys that they were looking for. I was like, what? Seriously? I was like, that is the craziest prank I've ever heard. Oh yeah, dude, this guy's been bothering me for months. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> so fast forward, Matt gets out of college or whatever, and he's back in Chicago. We're at this show at Fireside Bowl. It was, you know, the, the Jihad Frodo's Charles Bronson, and the singer for the band Jihad and myself are loudmouths and heckle all the time. So we're always going back and forth, and then we both start railing on the band Charles Bronson. And for those straight edge people, old school straight edge dudes from New York used to wear construction gloves with X's. And so the singer for Charles Bronson used to wear gardening gloves. That was like these super weak, like your mom would wear. You know, like really weak X's, but it was really funny. And so the singer for Jihad was just railing on him. There's about like 350, 400 people. And then on the mic, Matt, Charles Bronson is playing on the floor, of course. And uh, all the other equipment's on stage. And Matt Weeks from the payphone and from Ottawa is standing on stage behind Jihad's bass amp. And so everyone's kind of freaking out. And then <laughs> Mark from Charles Bronson just in dead silence goes, dude, you know what? And points to the singer of Jihad and goes, we all know the Ottawa side is so much better. Oh my god, that's awesome! And then it looked, it looked like, it looked like the guy from Ottawa started doing like the elevator. He was like, <laughs> like went down. He literally like went down behind the amp, and the entire room went silent. Like everyone was like, "That's so true!" Like it, it was amazing. And then of course I yelled. That's so true. <laughs> that was awesome. You know, uh, he and if if he had known at the time that the guitar player Charles Bronson would go on to become such a major fantasy artist, he could have gotten him to paint him some fantasy Tolkien paintings too. Is he? Yeah, he like does magic cards. 
There's magic cards that if you look. That is horrible. You know, there's a magic there's a magic card. If you look on the magic card, you'll be like, that's Ebro from Charles Bronson, the drummer. <laughs> and he like would model characters like there's a Mark McCoy one. What? Other people know this, right? There's those magic cards. Does anyone play Magic the Gathering here? Greg Mental does. <laughs> Mental. I mean, you're not allowed to raise your hand even if you do. No, but, like my friend went to his my, my friend went to his storage space and pulled out no life storage space. <laughs> my friend went to his storage space, pulled out eight hundred dollars in magic cards and like sold them. And that's like ten cards. Like people still buy them. Dude, I hate Magic the Gathering. Yes, I don't play it. Do you guys know what it is? So I was in this really lame joke band called Man Cake. We had a song that we never recorded called Magic the Pummeling, where I would get a deck of <laughs> I would get a deck of Magic the Gathering cards, and then I would read them and I'd hit someone in the front. That was it. <laughs> like they'd be playing like bog imp, muck, muck, encrusted claws comes out, roll, wham, and then I hit someone in the chest, and then uh, I'd keep reading through the deck. There you go. That's a bullying thing, man. That's a they, bullying no, no, thing. They knew. I mean, it wasn't like a real punch. <laughs> well, Jason, before you punch me out, because I used to play D&D and go to Dungeons & Dragons yeah. summer camp. Dude, I'm one D&D story. Okay, one D&D story. One. So, Shelby from Frodus, big D&D fan. Big D&D fan. He got, really, he got heavily into D&D again in the late era of the band. And we were going to Richmond to play a show, and he was not in the van. I was like, dude, where are you? We are late. We are super late. And we were playing the band Swank. Do you remember this band? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tony that does the fest in Florida. It's Swank's big reunion, and we're supposed to play right before Swank. And then Swank goes on, and then it's over. So Shelby is playing a D&D game somewhere. <laughs> it's the show? Ultra late. I was like, dude, you got to get here. We've got to get the hell out of here. We've got to get down to Richmond. And so I'm like arguing with him. He gets in the van and this is so crappy, dude. So he just brings the game and they get in the van with us. Like all the time. This looks so bad. So like I'm in the van driving ultra pissed that we're late. And freaking our friend Matt, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matt, who ended up, Matt worked here for a little bit and, and was a bass player for Transmaghetti for a brief second. Okay. So Matt's in the back still like dungeon mastering this game. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I'm just like driving infuriated and then I just hear you. Like, and then like they're just, they're trying to keep it going and they're whispering now. Like, uh, you feel cold water dripping on your forehead. I was like, man, get the hell! Stop! Stop dripping water on Shelby's forehead. You've got to get to the show. This sucks! It's horrible! And we were totally late, and the headliner had to play. We had to play after. <laughs> we played after the reunion band to maybe like 25 halfway enthusiastic friends. It was horrible. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. That is why he has one of the best episodes in the history of this podcast. 
Now, to welcome back to the show, to discuss that amazing interview, my friend, your friend, Chris O'Toole. Welcome back, Chris. Good job, by the way. That was amazing. That was, how awesome was that? Great. I was sitting right there laughing. We didn't do a footnote. <laughs> you can see me probably. Were we doing footnotes when we did the Jason? I, we actually discussed that about an hour ago, and I don't recall. Yeah, it was before I think we had footnotes, but we did talk about the, the Frodis, because that's when I really... You and I did, yeah. Because I didn't know you were such a big Frodis fan until yep, that conversation. Yep, I am. They're like one of your bands, and yep. like, not that you were in them. Because that would be weird if he claimed that he was in the band right in front of you. That was like when no. he so many bass players. You could, <laughs> you could have been the bass player of Frodus. Ironically, that should be a Frodus shirt. I could have been the bass player of Frodus. I was the bass player. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I one time, do you remember? We had the American Hardcore screening when they did the America's Hardcore screening I, I, in Toronto. I, I recall that. No, I was not. And it was like Flipper was in the audience because they were going to play the after party, and there's a scene in it. Isn't that where like Moby's talking about how he was he was in Flipper for a show, and Flipper's like, "No, you weren't!" They're like screaming at the screen. He's, he's lying. He's lying. Moby still claims says he was. So I, I would side with Moby on this because I'm like, if anyone has a clearer recollection of that time period, it's not the people in Flipper. No. <laughs> um, but Chris, that was fun. That was how so you, much fun. How do you even comment on that? It was perfection. Well, there's nothing to say. It was absolute perfection. Uh, I do have a couple points. I, I, Dame always, Damien, pardon me, always ices out like funny compilations and stuff. So <laughs> the take warning comp, which yeah, the, the one, Operation Ivy comp that he threw serious shade at. Well, here's the thing, no, because he, cause, cause Jason fucked up and deprived the world of what sounds like it was going to be an incredible Operation Ivy comp. <laughs> we have to deal with this. Let's go through the track listing now, Chris. Of the well, I'm trying to the one I pulled up here that I found out uh, nerding out. I can't seem to find the bands who are covering it. This is the unfortunate. It's like it's like all bands. I think anyway, it was like two called, bands I had heard of. It's called Take Warning. <laughs> what does it say? It's Songs of Operation Ivy. Glue Factory Records, 1997. So you know it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> 90s ska is obviously the best. That, there's a lot of 90s ska on that compilation. <laughs> I think there's. They, they can't find the track. List I think the crowd might be the only good song on that, if I remember correctly. That's a good song. That's an amazing song. It might be my favorite Operation Ivy yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. Yeah. I'm with you. With you. The, probably. You know what? Does that reveal that we don't actually like ska? Because that might be the only <laughs> punk song. I I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Okay. What else? Anything else? Uh, Rude Kids. Fool. Singles, that single's great. Um. You own it, I assume. I own as well. Yeah, uh, I, w- I would say that's the first... To me, that's the first hardcore band. Because that's 78, and I know people be like, oh, well, the, the Black Flag, well, middle class. But but that record, like, that guy's yelling in the mic. The first single is called Regare is a bunch of motherfuckers. Yeah. And Regare were the rockers that used to beat up the punk kids. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's, like, yelling in the microphone. It's, like, so yeah. primitive sounding. It's it, great. If you haven't heard those records, they have a comp... Uh, LP collect or whatever yeah, CD collection. The very best of the Rude Kids. If your nerds like us hunt down the singles, they're all very good. But um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going as far as you are with the first hardcore band thing, but it's uh, it's excellent. But I just like the show. That was funny. And um, what else? That Metallica, Shortest Straw by Metallica is such a sick song. I love that. That Karate <laughs> Kid thing was incredible. Um, the Charles Bronson story is really good too. I've never heard that split. I have no, I'm, I have what? no, I've never heard it. You've never heard never it? Never heard it. 
<laughs> I'm still trying to find this Operation Ivy track listing for everyone. <laughs> it's the bands. Well, I don't well, know. Like the track listing. No, I know. They're trying to find the bands. Like, but uh, no, I, that was kind of it. Uh, there was another thing you touched on that uh, compilation to embrace was Land of Greed, World of Need, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from '94. And what was the band you had? You were talking about. Wait, what? Oh, or, Ordination of Aaron. Ordination of Aaron. They're not on that, at least on here. Wait, anyway. Wait, wait. Whoa! Right here. No, 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 it's another, it's another... No, there, it, it, it's Ordination of Aaron, I thought. It's right there. No, 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 it current. is... Current. Current. Dude, current. Yes. There we Same go. crew, dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I was trying to, I was trying to find that. Yeah. Uh, you did. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take Oh, welcome back to the Converge Q&A, everyone. <laughs> anyway, that was about it. That was great. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, so you're going to come back. I still, I want to find this track listing because I want to go through these bands so bad. Uh, one more try. Why don't I look it up and then you have a guess and then we'll discuss it next. Well, because then it's going to be like lost. We're going to be talking about the next point and we're all going to be like, what, what... Is it here? <laughs> this is the magic that you missed. It. Yeah, this is the episode. The this is what, but it's me with a lot of weed normally, so it's even more confused as I'm trying to operate the internet. This is me sober having problems with the internet. So, <laughs> all right, okay, Chris, that's it for uh, for right now. Um, and you're gonna come back, of course, and we will have right more there. fun. In a second, but uh, until then, we got to bring up our next guest. Next guest is someone that I've wanted to meet for a very long time. Someone who's been in bands, like a, a range of bands that I, I can't even begin to comprehend how awesome these bands are. He was in Iron Cross, Grey Matter, Ignition. Dante, come to the stage, please. <laughs> Alex coffee up. Oh, Alex is coffee when he gets when he comes here. He he sent me a text, which means now I have Alec Mackay's phone number, so I can Jason him all the time and ask him to be on my Operation Ivy comp that I'm going to put together. <laughs> Dante, thank you for coming to the show. This no is like problem. like you, you know, obviously the the stuff you do now in music is is hugely important to this city and everything, but the stuff you've done for years has been hugely important to all of punk rock and, and everything. So I want to start this off the way I start them all off, mm -hmm. which is how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? You know, the long or the short? Oh, we got, we, got, we got time. We got time. Okay. okay. Um, me and my buddy Mark, who is guitarist for Iron Cross yep. and Grey Matter and stuff, um, we used to have this job as sixth grade, so... This is winter, uh, 78, 79. You're not going to take my drink, <laughs> um, We used to do this gig over at my dad's restaurant. We'd go Friday after school. We were like 11. We'd put away boxes from the orders that would come in and make a, like a $1.50 each or something mm -hmm. like that. And we'd go over to this really cool underground record store. It's called Bread and Roses. It was underneath this head shop. Had tons of used records, stuff that you could buy for a quarter. It was like us just starting to get into rock music. Mm -hmm. um, and we just walked in one day, and the guy was blasting. This place was 
really crazy because they they their original owner was an old hippie guy that didn't got way behind on his taxes and disappeared once the IRS got there, and then they got taken over by these two anarchists that refused to pay taxes. <laughs> by the time we were hanging out there, there was just. It was just the people who worked there. Yeah. There was nobody. There was no no control over the place. They just did whatever they wanted. Chased most of the customers out. And this guy was blasting. Uh, he had a, a pre-release copy of the Ramones' um, uh, Road to Ruin, and so he was blasting when he walked in. I'm like, what the fuck is this? We've never heard anything like this. Like, what sounds like this? Like, this is like uh, like bands like the Sex Pistols or the Clash. And we we'd always heard that punk rock was just some kind of trash music people beat each other up to in England. And so mm-hmm. that's that's what turned us on to it. And we spent the next year sort of discovering all the all the nuts and bolts basics and stuff through that record store. You're like super young too to be finding out about this music at that time. We were like 11. Well, we that's, were really that's young. young. I mean, we were really into into like trying to discover weird rock stuff. Yeah. We just t- got turned on to like the Kinks and Patti Smith and some of the the more, you know, basic nuts and bolts stuff. The proto. That, that was the big that was the big like realization that there was something else out there that was totally different. So had you been to a concert at that point or no. was it just I mean it been not not like a punk show. Yeah. No I mean like just no. a concert in general. Like what was your first concert by the music wise? The first one that not not counting like you know, it grew up in more of a hippie type environment. So I like I'd some hippie bands. Of, yeah, I mean, I'd seen lots of bands uh, playing at various small places. And yeah. Stuff. But the first concert that I would consider my first actual big rock show was uh, Kiss, 1978 at the Capitol Center. My Whoa. cousin was a big Kiss fan, and she got tickets to it. So how would you have been at that point? I was 11. 11, that, so that, yeah. that's a that huge year. That was like my first show. Yeah. That's like a year that you're like, you got yeah, everything's 11, opening 12, up. 11, 12, 13 were all like really, so where'd really you, big and fast moving from. Where'd you go from that Ramones Road to Ruin? Like, did you, I guess at that point, are you like trying to find, like, where were you hearing music, I should say, before that? Like, where did we hear Patti Smith and the Kinks? Was there someone playing A lot stuff? of that kind of stuff, um, well, Food for Thought was, was my dad's restaurant. Yeah. So it was a big hippie hangout, old underground subculture yeah. stuff. So there's a lot of music going around, really <laughs> good in the box. Um, and I grew up in a group house, so I was always exposed to tons of the cool 60s stuff. Um, some of the '70s acid rock type stuff, but and there was and the punk rock thing started leaking into that. Yeah, please. Around, around that around that time period, I think from '78 to like '78 '79 was sort of just discovering all the basics, like the early new wave stuff, Devo, Cramps, and then you know the the basic punk rock stuff, Damned, Sex Pistols, Clash, and, and that was the first year. I think that was. That was almost enough. You know, there's enough back out. There's a lot of those four Ramones records at that point in time, so that was always big. So, um, and then we, and then we sort of branched from there into into discovering more. We used to buy those those books, the photo albums, of like cool British punk rockers, and like get a magnifying glass and <laughs> study their jacket and be like nine nine nine. That's his arm. I mean, what is that? Is that a band? Let's let's find out about that band. And then we buy a single of that band because it was on some cool looking dude's cool. jacket. Well, we were talking about that in the car today. That that like. Do you think that happens now? Like we were talking about how you used to like have to dissect the photos or flyers, like looking in a record, and you're like, oh, there's a flyer. This band played with all these bands. Or looking at the thanks list. Yeah, it, was, it was a different. I think it was a different discovery kind yeah. of thing then, because if you if you went to a record store, you'd pull down like the import singles. Yeah. So you get one bin of records that you were looking through, and then you'd pick by like that's got a really cool cover. I mean, there's a couple really 
weird singles that I know other people who have for the same reason. They just picked out some strange-looking signals, <laughs> like, oh, wow, this is really cool. So were you playing music at this point, or at all? or Yeah, our seventh grade band was called The Punk Ruins. The Punk Ruins? The Punk Ruins. That was me and Mark Haggerty and Jeff Turner. Later, later kind Whoa. of reunited to become Grey Matter yeah. with Steve Niles. Bit of a super so, group. Yeah. Proto-super yeah, group. We, we weren't very good. <laughs> Do you guys record, or are we just playing? Yeah, party? We, I mean, we recorded like cassettes all the time, so I oh. still have some like some really old stuff. <laughs> Why has later, later renamed it as the Outsiders? Um, you're a music geek. One of the one of the later versions of the Outsiders that that actually played out um, wrote the original incarnation of. Uh, crucified, but it was different lyrics. So we, we, we still like regurgitated some of the stuff years that later. But the song. Um, that was Time Slays All. Time, Time Slays All. That's the original all. Crucified. It was the original Crucified. Yeah. I was yeah. recently in L. Alex, one of the only people who saw that band. <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> it was Food for Thought's eighth, uh, it was Youth Brigade, DC Youth Brigade's first show, and it was an eighth anniversary of Food for Thought, the restaurant, so. Oh, that's they awesome. Sort of, they weaseled their way onto the <laughs> So, I guess, like, you, before you start that band, like, were, did you hear about other local bands? Were you, like, aware of other stuff happening? Like, you know, I, I guess you knew about 60s, kind of hippie. Yeah, no, we knew about a bunch of the hippie stuff. It, there was definitely a realization, I think, in... Like limp stuff, were you aware of that scene, or the more underground stuff was a little bit later. I think I think it was probably when we were twelve that we really discovered that mm -hmm. there was like a local music scene that mm -hmm. we wanted to find out more about. Um, there was some of the older kids that went to the high school of the school we were at, and and some of the guys from Wilson. Um, so yeah, we would try to. Well, we were too young to get to go to shows. It wasn't until we were thirteen that we actually managed to twist arms enough or be old enough to sneak out, depending on how you look at it. Um, to actually go to a lot of the local shows. There was a bunch that we wanted to go to at 12, and we had to wait till we were 13. What was your first uh, local show that you went and saw? Like local hardcore yeah, yeah. show? Yeah. Uh, probably Unheard Music Festival at DC oh, Space, yeah. like SOA and, and uh, Government Issues. First show? Second, yeah. second show for us? Yeah. Bit of a pivotal kind oh, of Oh yeah, no, it was, it was great. I did, <laughs> Teen Idols ones I remember trying to go to, and we couldn't get away with it. And finally we found one or two people who worked at the restaurant that were into that kind of music. So. My dad's like, oh, it'll be, it'll be safe if, if, if they get taken by somebody that I know at the restaurant, which is crazy, because they used to always stop off for drugs in really bad neighborhoods on the way to shows and stuff. So, so a little, little sketchier, but... <laughs> I've always been fascinated by, like, the, the... There's that sort of, like, you know, the, the uh, Slickly Boys or... Slickly Boys. Yeah, and yeah. then there's, the, like, the Limp Records kind of nurses uh -huh. and that whole scene. And then it's almost like there's this new scene that kind of, like, Unheard Music Festival, I guess there's, like, that... It's where this new scene kind of... used to be called Teeny Punks. Teeny Punks. Some of, <laughs> some of but yeah, this stuff that became the Discord scene. I mean, when we first got into it, the I mean, Bad Brains and Black Market Baby mm -hmm. were probably two of my favorites that weren't, weren't the younger contingent of the scene. And then there was all of that... I guess the, the music scene that became sort of known as the Discord scene. Was that, like, did that stuff speak to you at all? That other stuff that was happening? Or was it like, that's not Bad my music? Black Market yeah, probably I mean, my favorites. Yeah. The stuff like the Slicky Boys was a slightly older yeah. group of people, and that was a little more in that sort of arty new wave zone, so I didn't really appreciate that as much. It's, you always hear about, like, in Los Angeles, like, there's those famous quotes from, like, John Doe and Exene about, like, oh, when the Orange County people came in, and that was the end of punk. Because that was hardcore came in, and we it changed our scene, it ruined our scene. Mm -hmm. Was it like obviously the teeny punks thing? And I think they talk a little bit of Dance of Days. There was a little bit of resentment, but do you feel that from this older punk scene? Like, did you feel that there was resentment oh at that early point in time? Yeah, I don't know if I 
knew those people well enough to notice if they were pissed off. I knew a few of them. Mm-hmm. I think they thought, I mean, yeah, I think some of them might have been a little funny. Isn't everybody always grumbly when new people pop up? And I hate young things? punks. You know, like, God damn it. Everybody always gets like a little bit weird about their... What's that movie where no one, like they can't have new babies so everyone's older? Uh, Children of Men. Children of Men. Oh, that yeah, to me is great. not like a dystopian sci-fi film. That's like that's a fantasy like world. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I'm the last people around. You got lots of yeah. space. You can do whatever you want. I'm still the teenager. I'm still the wild kid. You know, there's no more kids to come up behind me. My music was the best music. No one called me on that. <laughs> but I, mean, I think most of the DC was a small town. I think a lot of the bands appreciated the other bands, even if they weren't super into them. I think there was a Probably less than in like an LA or New York scene. I, I don't feel like there was a real <laughs> budding of heads with the different music scenes quite as much as maybe there. I've heard that there was in other towns. So when was the first time that you you like you played that first show live? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess where do you go from there? Are you at that point like you're kind of in the scene? That was like a one off. That was like was a one off show. That was like a yeah. That was like a project thing for Food for Thoughts anniversary. The next band I did was Broken Cross, which okay. was me and Mark. Getting together with the uh, two much two people who we were like thirteen, and we got together with um, this guy from Typo named Chuck and his friend Anne, who was thirty. So much older two people, and mm-hmm. just started playing around with them. What and, was the vibe uh, of that band? It was just sort of a weird, somewhat arty, punky type yeah. thing. We 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 saw a flyer for this show at uh, Wilson Center, um, and back then people just. Like Ian had his phone number on the fly. Like for more information, call Ian. So I called Ian. It's like, hey, we have a band. Can we play? And jumped on as like the ninth band on a bill that was like Bad Brains and Black Market Baby and Minor Threat and SOA and like every other band that was on Flex Your Head basically. So we're first side of Flex Your Head. Where'd you guys think you were gonna fit in as far as or you just want to do this band for music? I don't really cared. Yeah, we were just yeah. playing music and yeah. we're psyched to get a show. I mean at that point it was just like, hey, can we get a show? Okay. <laughs> So, I, I, like, how does that, then you, like, I guess you, you play just the one show with that band? Or that was just a one show thing. Um, I was on a bus at some point a little while after that, and John Falls said, hey, you play drums, right? You want to play for my band? And he had a band with this guy named Jamie, went to practice. We were supposed to have one singer. They got replaced by Sab, and that just became Iron Cross. Eventually, John left. Mark took over. Um, we finally went through, like, 10 million bass players, but... That was basically Aaron Cross. Just sort of stumbled. Yeah, I mean, it just Frodo sort of like, Frodo that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you guys aware? Like, when did you first become aware of what was happening in England with the harder punk stuff that was kind of coming you out? Mean, like the like, like the No Future era. Well, I guess it, like I guess or, it would or, like or become like Oi later on. It would become classified as Oi, but like it was like kind of like that. Like anti uh, anti nowhere league, like that whole right. like there's like a harder edge of stuff that kind of comes out. That, that's like I, I mean I was into all that stuff as it was coming yeah. out. That was sort of I, I guess Iron Cross was. Mostly just we were sort of a little more anglophile. A lot of people were getting yeah. into the California hardcore wave of stuff, and we liked a lot of that stuff, but we were a little more into, you know, Stiff Little Fingers or Sham 69 or, or UK Subs. Mm-hmm. So we sort of went slightly more in that direction, and as some of the earlier No Future stuff or Exploited or those kind of bands came out, that was. There was a lot of what we were listening to at the time. More than hardcore. I never, we, none of us were ever like really into thrashy yeah. hardcore stuff, so we just gravitated in a slightly different direction. And like, right from the start, was it like, did you find a place? Was it everyone just like open-minded to what you guys were doing, or was it like you had to kind of carve your own? Because it's like, I love Iron Cross, mm-hmm. but there's definitely like, it's not as breakneck 
in the speed department as some of the other bands, but it's like it's what they're... It's a different style, yeah, exactly. but I don't think there was a really... I mean, DC was a small music scene, so mm -hmm. I don't think that... I, I think maybe from the outside, like, if you, if you look at the bands in that time, it looks like Iron Cross is kind of a separate entity, and a lot of the bands are more separated, but, you know, uh, like, four or five of the people who lived in Discord House, one, one of them was sad, and they all were in a lot of those bands, so mm -hmm. it was kind of, like, fairly tight-knit in that sense. Everybody played shows together slightly different musicals. I mean, there's a lot of arty bands on the scene, too, that weren't part of, exactly part of that music scene, but would play on all the same shows, and everybody always got along really well. It just had different styles of stuff, and I, I, I felt like we were, I felt like people liked us. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I didn't feel like, like, separate, like, totally separate from the rest of the music scene, even though we were, our style was a little bit different. So, and, and like, you guys... Like, you know, right from, do you remember the first, like, did it feel like this was going to be different? Like, you've done Broken Cross at this point, you've done The Outsiders, you've done these other bands. And, like, did you know that this was going to, that this was a band that was going to do something? Did, like, when did you realize, like, after Seven Inch came out? Yeah, no, that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I remember getting, when, you got this, when Flex Your Head came out, was actually yeah. the really yeah. big thing, because suddenly, like, it's on vinyl, I can play it at the <laughs> wrong speed, this is so cool. No, it was definitely... You know, I, yeah, Iron Cross was definitely the first one where we were actually doing stuff like a band would, releasing stuff. And yeah, it was it was completely mind blowing that you could put out your own record. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that whole that whole era of just sort of realizing like this is something that you can just do. You don't have to. There's not a lot of steps before it. You just make the music and put it out, and that's all you really need to do to put out a record. It was it's kind of an amazing, enlightening experience to suddenly. This isn't that hard. You yeah. can be a real band. This is cool. Well, it's funny because we were just talking about, like, you know, obviously the Rue Kids to, like, I was talking musically, sonically as a hardcore band, but, like, the idea of what it is to be a hardcore kid and, and to be in a hardcore band, that's a DC concept to me. It's always been, like, this is the place where it's demystified. This is the place where it's kind of like anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. And also, like, we were talking about this in the car ride up here today. We had a lot of time to talk, Chris and I. It was like an eight-hour <laughs> turn out of punk footnotes today. But we were talking about how, like, unlike any other scenes, there's like a, a continuity in D.C. that you don't really see in other scenes. Like, there's still, like, it's it's not like like you have to cut out the 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 younger scene or the older scene. Well, there's a little bit of this, an aesthetic that sort of, I think, carries through, even through the different yeah. music styles, because there is a... The DIY thing is very entrenched, yeah. and I don't think that's just in the punk scene. I think a lot of that is a, is a DC. Um, I've seen a lot of small businesses operate that way, where it's sort of like you can do you can do what you want to do, and you can be you can do something that is, I guess, how do you say this? Sort of a traditionally capitalist sort of thing, but you can do it in this more homespun mom and pop way, and kind of stick true to whatever your whatever your different personal belief system is, and pull it off. And that I've seen that done by a lot of different people in a lot of the different art scenes and business scenes. I think that's just sort of a, you know, I like to think that's a DC, a strong, a strong undercurrent of the DC, like, city. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I don't know, like, this is, I'm, I'm an outsider who's probably spent collectively 24 hours here in the last you 15 should, years. stick around. I'd want to, you know. I keep, I keep waiting to get invited to that White House to hang out, but no one calls me. Uh, but I like, I don't, know, I love the city. But you're right. Like, there's, there is like this kind of. Uh, maybe it's because there is so much government here that, that, that there's so much that exists kind of without, like, outside of the system. It's a. It had elements, and, and some of this has changed a lot in the last decade. But it had a lot of elements of a small, sleepy town. I mean, it was a small scene. People knew each other. 
weird characters were known by lots of different people. It was, mm-hmm. just, it was really a lot like a small town. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you've got this big magnifying glass over you. It's a big and one of the most important towns in the entire world. Yeah. But it's actually this little small town. I think that weird element well, I guess the people, things along. And I imagine the people that stick around more than four years here, you like, you know, there's people that leave every four. I well, would imagine. Well, also the people who were born and raised here, which is yeah. a small group of people, or people who've been here for like you know, 20 plus yeah. years. And so you do have this this core group of people that doesn't really care that these people come and go. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're the background. These very important <laughs> politicos, like, they're, they're just a backdrop to what everybody else, to, to what we're all doing. So. Well, I, Dante, I want to punish you for hours and talk to you about every single band, and we're not even into Iron Cross playing uh, shows. We're not even into, like, into the, the, the green pressing of the 7-inch, which to me is like... <laughs> You're going to get into various, so, colored, well, various that, colored vinyl. <laughs> I would think, is that the first example of a Chase record coming out on colored vinyl? Like a rare version of a record coming out on colored oh, vinyl in hardcore? So. In hardcore? No, I don't think so. It can't be. Well, there's a da- Danger House did like some weird pressings, but I think those were almost by accident. Like... I feel like I had some good colored. Uh, uh, there were other colored vinyl like records. Sub stuff, but like they, but, but you they mean like American hard. Well, no, but they all came out on colored vinyl. Like the Green Iron Cross is like you the had green to. Green Iron Cross look. came out later though. But it's like you. Uh, it that's was still early. But it's it a repress. A few, it, the green one is is a second press. <laughs> the black one's actually more rare. Well then. Then I'm not going to worry about tracking down that green one because I've already won at life and I have a black one. We can, yeah, you probably have red writing. Black yeah, one, yeah, 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 yeah. Not a bootleg. Not a bootleg. No, not a bootleg. Yeah. Wait, you think I'd come here and brag to you about having yeah. a bootleg? Well, you might not know. I don't know. I guess you're a You think pro. I wouldn't know? You'd know, you'd know. He would, he would kick your ass. <laughs> I don't make the bootlegs. I'm not a bootlegger. I actually have, this is my best bootleg story. Did I tell, have I told this story on the air, Chris, about the, the, the the one about the the one about the screaming sneakers bootleg in Australia. Okay, so we played this show. Oh, this is in your podcast. I shouldn't ruin your podcast by telling my stupid story. I'll save this for footnotes, Dante. Don't worry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin your interview by going on my own little soliloquy. I punish Chris with those. Here's you're here to be celebrated. My band's colored vinyl. Yes. Other yes. It's not my story. Um, but I kind of like briefly wanted to touch on because I think this is also like a really fascinating moment is when you leave Iron Cross and you got, you kind of like have this, I don't know, what, what was I that? Quit. Yeah, you um, quit. Uh, it was a combination of factors. I, it was 16. I started, when the band started, I was 13. When I quit, I was, I had just turned 16. So it was, I was young and so time moves very quickly when you're that age. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We were just we we were starting a tour that was supposed to be a two week tour. Most of it was in the really really bad shows in the deep south. Sab had just come back from a trip to England. Um, we had barely practiced at all. It was all going to be like crappy shows. I thought we sounded like shit because we didn't practice. I was not happy about anything and the way the band was going. I think going out of town, like in town. We'd always gotten some shit about some of the skinhead stuff, and, and but but we knew everybody. Everybody was friends, and any like you know teasing or pressure was your friends fucking with you, and mm-hmm. just and, and mm-hmm. all in, in, in everybody knew us, and everybody knew who we really were. As soon as we leave town, it became a different thing. Everybody you know comes up to you and starts saying like, "Oh, so you're like a racist skinhead band, or you're this, or you're that," and it was really hard to deal with just 
sort of the realization that, eh, maybe we kind of fucked up in the way we presented this band. Maybe we should have been a, like, but we, we tried to be clear in some cases, but we just, I guess we weren't very good at it at some point. Um, and between that and just a number of other factors, like, I was just like, I am not into this. This is not the way I want to present the band. This is not the way I want to present myself. Um, so I quit. That three-year that three period, though, I imagine the perception of skinheads had changed from the time well, you were 13 to 16. It wasn't any when we started. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it was a completely different thing because yeah. it wasn't... It, 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 when we were doing it, if anything, it was an Anglophile. I mean, I never... <laughs> I'm like, never shaved my head. Everybody else in the DC was the same as was bald. Um, it was really for, for... In Iron Cross and with our scene of people, it tended to be more of like a, a bunch of people who were Anglophiles that really liked some British culture and a lot of British music. Uh, the whole sort of pro-America skinhead thing had not happened. There was only like two or three other bands that even identified at all in that scene. So yeah, two or three years later, it's not that much later, but it was a much different mm -hmm. thing. And um, a lot of the things that I think when we had started had just been sort of classic offensive punk rock stuff ended up being taken as racist. And that was just, it was just really hard to deal with the, sort of the, the, the weight of press. I, we just never thought of the band as something that anybody would ever listen to outside of a small group of like 50 people who were going to our show. The fact that we sold a thousand singles was amazing and mind-blowing to us. The idea that you know, Maximum Rock and Roll would write up the something about the band. Like the fact that anybody gave a shit about us was completely not on our minds when we were doing the band. We were mm -hmm. just doing a band for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So as soon as it hit this other other level of, you know, playing for everybody else and playing for the, you know, this crowd and having them have these like preconceptions and trying to figure out how do you explain to somebody when they say you're this, and I was a cocky motherfucker. I mean, if I had been racist, I would have had zero problem saying it. I was always said what was on my mind. But it's really hard when somebody comes up to you, you're this or you're that, and you're like, yeah, I'm not. If I was, I would be proud. I mean, hated and proud. I mean, we were proud of, like, I was, I was a cocky person, but there was no convincing. You didn't want to be that. Yeah. That wasn't what yeah. I was into. And I would have been, if I was, I would have said something and I wasn't. That wasn't what anybody in the band was into. Yeah. But it's really hard. To, I, I remember we played this one show at 930 Club when a lot of the, we had, and we had done, just put out the second single. Wolfpack was on there and, and Sab had written it about, you know, how fucked up it is to beat up old people. But it really was supposed to be about how fucked up it was to beat up anybody weaker than you kind mm -hmm. of thing mm -hmm. and, and a whole and a whole commentary on what was going on in the skinhead scene at that point in time. And I remember he wasn't always the clearest guy on stage and his messages were sometimes somewhat mixed but I remember he leaned out on the stage I was behind the drums he's leaning out and he pointed to everybody who was causing trouble at that point in time in the DC music scene like, this song's about you and you and you and it's about how you're all fucked up because you beat up people you prey on people and he made it so clear and all these people just went, yeah, a song dedicated to us, we rock. And I was just like, oh my God, like that, he couldn't, he can't say it any clearer yeah. than that. Like we blew our chance, it's too late. We can't, there's no way to dial it back at this point. I think that was probably the first point where I was just like, you know, no matter how, how much we can say what we want to present, we're not going to pull it off at this point. Mm -hmm. It's sort of too late. And I think that, along with a number of other factors, sort of led to me deciding, like, you know, I just can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not into doing this anymore. It's not my thing. 
But that was not the end of 16-year-old Dante. That was just the beginning. You would rise from the ashes and become the phoenix. To reform the punk ruins. <laughs> <laughs> punk ruins back. That, I mean, honestly, that's, that's what we did after that. After I quit the band, that was just a fun project yeah. of us getting back together with an old friend. Yeah. Me and Mark getting together with an old friend and doing our seventh grade thing. Steve Niles was our roadie for Iron Cross at the time. Um, and so we taught him how to play bass, basically. He was just starting to play bass. Play with his thumb upside down. Um, and that's how we started Great Matter. Well, Dante, hopefully you'll come back on the show for a part two because I got to talk, I got to talk so much more. Yeah. But this has been awesome. Thank you again. very much for coming on the show. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Well, that was incredible. That's like one of those things that, like, that's why I do this podcast, not for you, but so I can punish the people that I've wanted to ask these questions to for so long. It's like a cathartic release there. Well, speaking of cathartic releases, I got to invite up the person that has to suffer through a cathartic release with me every week. Chris O'Toole, come back to the stage, buddy. Welcome back, Chris. How well, cool was that, dude? It was incredible. That was fucking all local. It was uh, incredible in a completely different manner to the original interview that you did on the night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I also have an original uh, with red text, and I'm super psyched. So Two of them are in Canada. We're going to brag, and I have an original of the second single, too. I, at one yeah. point, I was going to pay an ungodly amount for a green vinyl one, and I'm like, okay, well, my kids don't need to go to college because there's not going to be a future. <laughs> Um, you know, and I'm just going to do that, but I didn't, and now I'm relieved. <laughs> what, is, what is generally true, this is how, like, pathetic I am as an adult human being, or barely an adult, I guess what I would say. When you said, like, the green is the later one, I actually felt, like, a huge sense of relief. Like, <laughs> like I will never, like, I was actually, like, I, I felt shame that I would probably never have it. Now it's like, I don't even need I don't care. It. I have what I need I, already. There are less press, though. <laughs> I, th- I feel like sometimes though the cookie breaks crumbles the other way is that no that doesn't work no, but no but however no. however you would phrase that to make it make sense um, because like I always thought Poison Idea on Clear was the rarest version of Pick Your King but then I find out the black version is the first press the clear is the second they're press they're the same they're the same I don't know I I talked to well if people you talk to Malcolm to, you yeah, talked to Malcolm yeah. at Fatal Erection yes correct Okay, well then he claimed they were both the same. This I'm is super go with nerdy, and I apologize. <laughs> no, this I don't is care about this is what the show is. Yes, I, I mean is, like this is it. You you went right into pick your king hard right after that, but yeah, this is this is our world. Um, but yeah, it, apparently they're both the first for anyone that cares, or if you have like the clear and you feel shame, or the black you feel shame. Don't they're both the same? Yeah, you're with and, us. And You're if you us. feel shame based on your record uh, not being the proper press, you, you really should feel yes. shame. It's, it's really, it shows that there's got to be other values in your life. Uh, what else, though, Chris, jumped out from uh, the Dante conversation? Uh, in a bizarro, uh, one thing I thought about while, while the interview was taking place in, in regards to Iron Cross again was that I never thought of the comparison in a, in a different manner that... Uh, Sham 69 were ruined and had to break up uh, for similar uh, ways that Iron Cross did and 
it sucks and I hate that that happened. Anyway, uh, for people that get that, you'll get that. But anyway, I just didn't think of that parallel to that he was speaking on it in depth there. Have you ever seen that Sham 69 writing video when they do If the Kids Are United? And there's like the, the bouncers about to beat up, or there's like a fight between one of their road crew guys and one of the bouncers is about to happen. And Jimmy picks them both up and gets them to sing If the Kids Are United at the same time. And it's like, <laughs> like my tears are in my eyes. It's like, I'm like, my heart is just like beating out of my chest. I'm like, it's, it's powerful, it's so powerful. <laughs> I don't, I think we've spoken about that. I, I haven't seen that. I've seen like their weird disrupt, like disruption videos later where they keep getting like show stop. Yeah. Anyway. No, this is like a triumph video. It's not like the later <laughs> yeah, ones that yeah, are kind yeah. of a bummer. Um, but yeah, I had never thought of that parallel despite the sonic uh, similarity. Um, and it's just, yeah, I don't know. It was great. I just listened. I have nothing to say. You, I have nothing to impart. Everything's being said and it's perfect. What well, Chris, you're not doing your job of being the footnoter. <laughs> you got to get way more critical. All right. Thank you, Chris. Next, we're going to invite to the stage a person who is someone that I've known about on the internet for years as a personality by the name of John Sweatpants. Now he is the front person of one of my favorite hardcore bands. Welcome to the stage, John from Give! Greetings. We meet IRL. No, we met before. But do you remember the first time you met me? The first time you, we... you're not gonna remember, but I I remember. <laughs> well, I think did I meet you one time coming down here with no warning and as we once were? No. Um, I wish I saw as we once were live, but we played with fucked up at the opera house in like 2000. No, I did. That, that, I thought I met you before that. No, I totally on a gift show. Maybe you did meet me before that. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then oh, John. The shoe is on the other foot now, my friend. How you do not remember me? Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I, I remember you uh, introduced yourself, and um, you started talking about Degrassi. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Like, I, did, I knew what Degrassi was, but I was like, why is he mentioning this? But I guess it's a Toronto thing. Or... It's a Toronto thing. Yeah. And also, you were, I think I probably told you, John, as you now make me seem like a maniac coming up and just talking to you about Degrassi, I was probably telling you that the venue was across the street from the real Degrassi Street. So without that, there'd be no Drake. There'd be no Canada. <laughs> there would be no. <laughs> Did you ever watch Degrassi? Did it come down here at all? Uh, even after that, I know nothing about it. I know what? Drake is on it, that's it. Well, that's the later one, dude. Uh, the early stuff had a punk by the name of Spike. And she is a legit punk that uh, went to shows and is like a legit hardcore kid. Okay, you don't care. You don't care about the grass. <laughs> Fuck this. Okay, if anybody John, knows Degrassi, then... Yeah, if, you people know, if you know Degrassi, you're like, what, Spike is real? And I'm just like, yes, she is a real punk. It's a great episode of Degrassi. Wait, Degrassi? No, yours. Oh, thank you. I did have her on the show, too. But Anyway, John, this is not about Degrassi. It's not about Spike. It's not about the opera house. It's not about As We Once Were. It's about you. And I want to find out about when you first heard punk. Do you remember the first time you came across the genre? That's what, I knew this was going to be a question, so I was like trying to mine exactly when it was. And before, like before Dead Kennedys, Pennywise, Misfits, Minor Threat, one of my friends randomly had a, uh, you know the band Yuck Mouth? Oh, yes! New York uh, hardcore legends? New, they're not, no, no, no. Oh, no, am I thinking of a different from, band? They're from Cali. There's a, a different Yuck Mouth. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> and this band Relapse. The, these uh, conversion records bands. He had these two records for some reason, and I knew it was just like weird music. 
but that was the first time I'd ever encountered punk. And then uh, after that, I don't know, I, it was all the usual shit, like skate videos, friends, you know, minor threat, that type of stuff. So when, you, when did you, like, so you heard that Yuck Mouth stuff, and like, where would you get records after that? Like, where would you kind of discover this music? Like, did this person kind of lead you into, like, the conversion records no, catalog? this person was as clueless as I was. <laughs> just, I don't know why he had, I think he had a Quicksand CD too, just randomly someone had given him these records. And we didn't even, after that we didn't think like, oh, I want to own a record. It was just like, he had these records, we were able to listen to it like on a Strawberry Shortcake record player. And, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We didn't. We didn't put the thing together. Like, let's go to a show. Let's buy a record. Yeah. Let's own music. And we just randomly had. We heard it. So it's so weird. Like, why? Like, if you're trying to get someone into punk, would you give them the Yuck Mouth record? Of course not. It's great, but of course. <laughs> yeah, not. exactly. So where did you? How old were you at that point? I was probably like 11, 12 or something. Okay. Like that. So where did you kind of go from there? Where were you into otherwise musically around um, that? Probably like Metallica. Mm -hmm. Like. Uh, Green Day might have been out by then. No use for a name, like just that type of stuff. The classics. Yeah. <laughs> the canon, as we like to call it. Leche Con Carne is good. It's a great record, and that band's like roots are are unbelievable. It goes right back to to Spaz and Chris Dodge and all that kind of thing. So I didn't know that. That's interesting. You know, it's like the the, the No Use for a Name is where you can connect the Foo Fighters to Neanderthal. Are you a Foo Fighters fan? <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. You kind of have to say yes. Or? No, I, I, no, I do. I like, I like, I like. I went. Mike Watt came to Toronto on the Powerball tugboat tour, and the Foo Fighters opened and Hovercraft, and I fucking love the Foo Fighters, and I have a bootleg of it, and I'll give you a copy if you like the Foo Fighters. I'll, uh, I'll take the. Copy. Okay, well, you're, you're taking it. I'm very hesitant. Why are you not allowed to say your true opinion on the Foo Fighters, Sean? <laughs> Um, Is there an upcoming give tour we're not aware of? What, what's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> so where, like, when did you kind of first go out and buy a punk record, or where did you go to a show or kind of get actual active engagement in it? It was uh, I was in North Carolina at the time, and there was like a secondhand music store called Record Exchange. I think there's a few of them in North Carolina, and uh, some. I think I remember a friend from school. He recommended me. I listened to Strife, and I listened to it. <laughs> And I was like, this is dog shit. I don't, you know. <laughs> it was like Strife and Earth Crisis, I think. And I like Strife now, Earth Crisis still don't like. Um, what? Sorry, Ambrose. Oh, I'm sorry. What about, I see, I'm not, I'm not, and this is going to get me yelled at by Jason too, but I'm not the biggest Earth Crisis fan, but I do like Gamora's season end as a song. Do you think that song's hard? I don't. <laughs> Hardly sucks. Hardly sucks. Um, yeah, Earth Crisis, I can't do that. But um, so he recommended Strife and Earth Crisis and kind of these harder bands. And I was like, this stuff is not, I can't do this. And then he recommended, and then he gave me Gorilla Biscuits. And that's when, after that, Rev, <coughs> Avalanche, and then bam. So were there, like, were you going to kind of like skate punk stuff at that point? Or was there like pop punk stuff happening in, in, in locally? Or did you, like, had you been to a concert even at that? Um, pop punk, never into uh, skate punk. Well, you said Pennywise. That's kind of in is the... Is Pennywise pop punk? Well, I wouldn't say pop punk, capital P pop punk. Hold but on, hold on. Dan, is Pennywise pop punk? Skate punk. Okay. Skate. <laughs> popular punk. <laughs> They're popular punk. Um, and then uh, there was local bands. I was, just, you know, the, have you heard of this band Empire Falls? Yeah. 
from North Carolina. They were kind of like a, one of the first live shows I saw. On Prophecy Records, I believe. Yeah. And did it, it was Brian Scorch, the singer, and he's kind of had a questionable evolution after yeah. the band. Didn't they do a split with Prohibition 2000 or Pit Boss 2000? There was a split. I think there was like a judge uh, tribute comp that both <laughs> of those bands were on. But then after that, after I moved away from North Carolina, he kind of yeah. went into... Yeah, yeah. But um, it's like white power racist stuff. It's not cool. Not cool at all. Um, that was like one of the first bands that I kind of got involved with this band, the re- Reinforced Until Today, the first step, and that's... Oh, shit. No, now I think I know when I first met you. Wow. I was roading for The Swarm, and they played with Until Today, and uh, in the dude from Until Today's house, and Reinforced might have played too, and Adamantium. Yes, Adamantium played. That's where I know you from, dude. Holy shit, you were at that show? <laughs> there was like 20 people at that show in a garage. Wow. I was roading for The Swarm. That was my first tour ever. They were horrible to me. Wow. <laughs> I, I apologize. That's when we first met. Wow. Tried to show me up here, and look who showed up him. Anyway, until the day's fucking amazing. I think that band, like of all like the sort of like... Second tier youth crew revival bands. That's one of my favorites from back then. Um, yeah, '97 era was, uh, it was it was a little weird. There's some good bands. Reinforced started out good, and they got kind of bad. There was like a 90210 influence that I don't crept in somehow. <laughs> there was an amazing Reinforced pulled like the best move ever. So they played a show in Buffalo. Obviously, like you know, if you don't know the band, people just stand there, like as everyone has experienced. Um, so people are just standing there watching them. And then they bust into a seven seconds cover. So of course everyone sings along and they snap the picture and that's the cover of their record. So all these people are like singing along to the song. That's, that's the, I think in the nineties, that was the classic, you play a cover, probably 90% of the cover shots on records in the nineties, hardcore wise, were covers. Yeah, just like, like, a chain cover and you get your cover. You get your photo. The other thing that you would do also in the nineties, as the previously mentioned, as we once were did, is stage a show so you could do all your jump. Chain of Strength did it too, right? Like As We Once Were did that? Yeah. The first demo of As We Once Were where they're like jumping, that's just in a practice space and they're taking turns taking the pictures of each other. Um, there was, speaking of As We Once Were, uh, I can't remember which demo it was, but there's a picture of, I think it's DeLong, he's jumping. That's the first and, demo. Yeah, my friend got a tattoo of DeLong <laughs> jumping with an X behind it. Yeah. Whoa, that's the best tattoo I've ever heard. It, it might be the only As We Once Were tattoo ever. I don't know. Wait, is it of Jordan instead of DeLong? I think it's DeLong, but I'm not, I, I don't know for sure. Because I think I might have heard of this silhouette tattoo. It's, but not, it's not a silhouette. It's fucking shaded. Like, it's the... You, it's a photorealistic portrait of Matt DeLong. I, I will email this. I still talk to this guy. I got into hardcore with him, and I'll email you the photo. Oh, my. Please, please. And then I'm going to get a tribute tattoo to that tattoo. Would, he, he needs to get a, uh, on the other, like, current DeLong. Yes. Yes. If for those of you who are unfamiliar, Matt DeLong at this point had, like, a, a crop top and was, like, a super posy kid. And now if you see him, he looks like... Like an Aerosmith member in the 70s. And I mean that in loving. He's a friend of mine, but you know, and he would say that I look terrible too. Um, so it goes both ways. Yeah. I remember uh, we played Not Dead Yet, and after we played, he came up to me and introduced himself and was like, hey man, like, what's up? Good to see you again. And I was like, who in the fuck is this guy? 
I think our friend, like I think Matt LaForge, our friend from Toronto, he had to lean over and be like, hey man, like that's the long, he was a no warning. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I think like, if I could grow my hair, I would have long hair like that too now, but I can. Yeah, he looks great. So where do you kind of, you kind of get involved with these bands and you're kind of like involved in, in what's happening in North Carolina. And it was a big scene, right? Like relatively speaking, there were a couple bands at least. There, it was a, it was more scattered. I don't wouldn't classify it as big, but it was active. Yeah, more than just as we once were. So it's bigger than Toronto. <laughs> I, I, my perception of Toronto at that time was it was kind of it was cool. Like it was a lot of stuff happening. I don't know. There was a swarm and that and, and and as we once were, but as Chris will get up here and attest to, there was very little else. I guess like it was that. It was kind of the kind of the tail end. But like it was like a. It felt like that was almost like the transition point for, for a lot of scenes and a lot of music in hardcore. Like, you know, it was like the, the end of that Youth Crew revival and it was kind of like... Was Fucked Up fucked up Exists before No Warning came around? Or was no, it? no, after. After, okay. Yeah, we were like the, uh, the incredibly late for the trend people that <laughs> joined the scene. So what was your first band? When did you start playing music? Um, it was this band from North Carolina called X'd Up. Wow! <laughs> First question: Were you straight edge? <laughs> Extremely straight edge. Um, and actually, the one the one story about that band: we almost played a show. We were on a flyer with Until Today in North Carolina. And I remember the flyer and the show got posted on the Rev board, and uh, everyone was like, "Oh, cool!" You know, blah blah. blah. And then Ben Cook comments. There's a band called fucking X'd Up. Like, what is good? Like, he would just, like, clown the name. And I remember at the time, I was like, damn, man, I thought the name was awesome. Like, <laughs> it's like, dude, you're an as we once were. Don't cast stones. <laughs> so, did you, that was the only show you guys, do you guys ever? We, we had the show, actually, got canceled. We never played. After that, I don't think Do you I, record? No, uh, there's like oh, there's got to be a tape. I've, I've been looking. I've been trying to get them. Don't you? Um, and then after that, I was in a project band called Breakthrough, and then Give. Like it was not. I wasn't active band wise. I did mm -hmm. like the zines and just went to shows and stuff. So, so yeah, like I guess well, the zine thing is kind of like I get like was that well also message breadboard too. But like when did, what was your first kind of like foray into like the 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 international hardcore thing was it through zines or was it through the internet at that point because that's also the rise of the internet culture yeah it was kind of um, the internet was still like info was kind of wasn't there I just remember the rev board was a big mm -hmm. that's where I first like bought like records uh, like talked to people made pen pals the rev auctions page yeah there was oh. a this it's a funny little thing for people uh, in DC to this uh, record store joint custody yeah did you visit there I, I, I didn't go today but I, believe me I have been there a couple it's, times. Uh, it's owned and operated by Gene, who's also in Give, and this dude, James Ritter. And I remember... Stand up, Gene! <laughs> Stand up, Gene! <laughs> he's not, he won't stand, but he's right there. Hi, Gene! Stand up, Gene! And, That's an amazing record store. Yeah, I mean, it's the best in the country. They know exactly what they're fucking doing. Yeah, there's, like, um, fire. But uh, James Ritter, I think he lived in uh, Virginia at the time. And um, I did it. This was before I knew him, but I traded him a bootleg Unit Pride shirt for a real bold shirt, and that's still like something we talk about today. Oh, through the red board, like I completely ripped him off. Had no idea, but no, you didn't know it was a bootleg. I didn't know it was a bootleg. I still to this day, he said he still has a shirt, but I've never seen the design. It might have been a Chris Kelly uh, shirt, but I don't know for sure. 
Really? So, yeah. And the friendship still, uh, you survived the bootlegging exchange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> become friends. So, uh, like, I guess what drew you to do a band eventually? Like, Just, uh, I don't know, when you get into hardcore and realize that you can do a band, you kind of want to do a band, I don't know. But you like, like, you know, like, I chased the ghost for a long time with starting a band. Like, I had a lot of other bands, and like, you know, most people do, but you only had three. But or four. There's also one of the big reasons I didn't do a band for a while is because I moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I was in uh, North Carolina, then I moved to Tennessee and then Mississippi. So I would just like take buses and planes up to the East Coast to go to shows and stuff. So I wasn't around. That's why that, the band Breakthrough was like a project band because I couldn't get up here. And in Mississippi, it was there's hardcore kids didn't really exist. Yeah, I guess like what what's it like going from you know North Carolina? You say it's a scattered scene, but it, it had people there to like you know, and Virginia had people, I guess. But like Mississippi, I can't think of too many bands from that time period yeah, kind of coming out. Where I was at, it was like there's people in the music and shows happening. I went to a few of them, but like hardcore and stuff. Like I want to do a straight edge band and like wear the right things and say you know, not happening. So. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't you didn't put together that that hodgepodge of like okay, I'm gonna get a youth group band together. But I'm gonna have that metalhead. That Scott dude that plays trumpet, but I think he can play bass, and whatever that person's into, that's gonna play drums, <laughs> and that's gonna be my straight edge band. Looking back, I wish that's like kind of the Billingsgate cover. It's like <laughs> yeah, that is definitely the Billingsgate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, you can be in the band. You can be the band. You. So I guess like as Give kind of goes on, you had like a really different vibe than any other band when you first when you first start, obviously you still have a different vibe. Was that like a conscious rejection of stuff that was happening? Or is that like, did you want to have like a, a different feel to it? Or is that just your vibe kind of put out there? Uh, when we started, I was probably more ambitious when we started. Like I remember telling Gene, I was like, yo, I definitely want to grow my hair out and I want to play music that's going to like bum people out. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this was a plan. I mean, I don't know. But in, um, I don't know, it's kind, of, it's kind of just the collection of everyone's interests in the band. It's, it wasn't, I don't know, it, it's hard to explain. But it's funny because like we're talking, like you want, when you're in Mississippi, you want to form that band that has people that uh, wore the right clothes, did the right things, and then Give is almost like a band that consciously rejected, like from what you're saying, doing the right things and wearing the right clothes and, and tried to do something new, unique and create a new vibe. Well, th there, was, there was kind of like a this like, straight edge itch that I had to scratch. Like I wanted to be in a straight edge band real bad. I did break through, but it wasn't completely like uh, full time. That band first step, I was like kind of so attached to them. It almost felt like I was in the band and then I had satisfied that scratch, that itch. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So then after that, I was like, yeah, I want to get weird and like do this type of stuff and like expand and blah, blah, blah. And that's how give happened. Well, I want to punish you more about give. I definitely want to talk more about X up, but <laughs> I think we come back for a part two, John. Of course. Yeah. Can we do a part two? And when we do this part two, will you wear the sweatpants? <laughs> I'll wear anything you want. That sounds like <laughs> Okay. Get ready to wear the right things, my friend. John, this has been amazing. Thank you very much. And now, the man, the myth, the legend, Chris O'Toole. Oh. <laughs> 
the music at this point is real comedic. The music's gonna be there. It's <laughs> great. I didn't have this last night, and it felt super awkward without the music. So just be really happy that I have this annoying music that keeps playing because it's just like this silent stroll to and from the stage. So, welcome back, Chris. Thank you. How was that? It's great. It's a great I'm, night. I like this room. I know. This is like... I'm not even trying to play to the audience. I genuinely like it. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't build it. Well, one of them <laughs> kind of did. But no, the rest of them had, didn't have a huge part in it. So, um, No, but this is like... I, like I, before we came here, like we're driving up here and we're, we're having that conversation about like kind of the, the city and this sort of like through line that kind of runs through punk and hardcore. And it's like, you know, Dante talked about it being like the, the sort of DIY spirit but like you see it in bands like this new wave of DC hardcore that's happening now like you see these bands that are kind of like it's still there like there's still this sort of like same sort of like through line of yeah I would agree whatever and it's not in other scenes like we talked about like <coughs> you certainly don't see that in Toronto no absolutely <laughs> not I think any uh, sort of like uh, what, what we perceive as a mecca at least from a distance it, it, it's there's a, a a cultural lineage that doesn't exist elsewhere, and of course, there's those key cities. This mm -hmm. being one of them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I want to defend Earth Crisis right now. That <laughs> well, footnotes. That's what we do on footnotes. So, what's your argument to defend the crisis? First two singles. Well, no, that's it. That's uh, you don't even go. No, I go. I go. I go. Far, I go farther, but you. It's hard to not. It's the funniest part about this is really for real. Is it's it's um, it's so slow, like the it's tempo is so, so slow. slow, but it's not like, sludgy slow. Like yeah. just like annoyingly slow. Like it's not <laughs> slow enough. Yeah. But you're just like, oh come on, speed up. But like legitimately, I really like those first two singles. Even though that's uh, sort of a point of shame for a lot of people, but what not myself to get to this tour. I flew to Syracuse um, and met Chris, <laughs> and as soon as I got into the Syracuse airport, the only thing I thought about was Earth Crisis, and I'm like, oh, Earth Crisis was probably in this airport. <laughs> probably had to fly out for tours here. Like, this is, this maybe Green Rage was here too at some point. This is funny, because that's actually how my brain works too, because I drive through it and uh, um, semi-frequently going to or from uh, places, and the, the only two things that come through my mind, uh, you've already touched on it, Earth Crisis, always one, and the other is the penetrators. Oh, the penetrators, yeah. it's the yeah. spectrum of weirdness. It's like, to, from that one band to the next, it makes almost no sense that I would think of both of those in the same world, but I do every time. Yeah. See, there's definitely no through line <coughs> no, in Syracuse zero. from no. the penetrators yeah. to Earth Crisis. Exactly. But, um, I'm sorry, go. No, 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 you go. Um, what I was going to say is, I like that you've kind of tap generations here tonight. I don't know if you realize that. Yeah, I've got a lot of... Well, we're going we're gonna to screw that up with the next guest a little bit because no. we're going to throw the balance off a little bit with that. But <laughs> yeah, like I think like... like I, I don't know, when we were kind of talking about who, who could be on the show and we're talking about guests and stuff, Like I think that was a big thing is that it'd be neat to kind of have... It'd be cool to have someone from the limp scene as well and like that, like, you know, like the whole way through. But I think like there, you know, to have that kind of like... Sedimentary rock of punk. Yeah, totally. Baby steps too. This won't be the last. Pardon me? This won't be the last. No, we're, we're gonna come back. It. You're gonna be here yeah. too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to promise now. You have to do it when the Facebook invite. Uh, for real, that as we once tattooed, as we once were tattooed. I Holy shit! That I can't even believe that. I cannot. This is like a really, really 
largely obscure Canadian youth group demo. I wouldn't say large. I'd say totally obscure well, <laughs> youth group demo. Within within a certain yeah. In in 2016, I don't know what is obscure anymore, but uh, it I'm, would have been ten years ago. I'm not gonna brag, but I did draw the second <laughs> press of their demo cover. So. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> no one cares. No. Why would they? I mean, if someone cared, I think that'd be worse than being upset about having the black or clear vinyl of Pick Your King. It would definitely be worse than that. It'd be yeah. definitely worse than that. <laughs> Unquestionably. All right, Chris. Yes. Anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm good. That was good. Okay, well, that is. I'm anticipating the interviews. That's why I just want to get on with them here. So you're just here to, to be like another one of these like spectators? Yes. Okay, well. What, driving 10 hours isn't enough for you today? You want more from me? Hey, I was there. I was DJing <laughs> with my mouth by DJing funny, <laughs> funny, uh, funny anecdotes. All right. And foibles and all sorts of things. Well, we got to clear you off the stage because we got to invite yes. our last guest up yes. on stage. All right. Uh, someone that has played in, once again, uh, a, a, a breadth of incredible bands. Someone that I've, I've always wanted to meet, which is a reoccurring theme tonight. Alec Mackay of Faith, of, of, of Ignition, of The Warmers, of Untouchables. Awesome music. Thanks for, oh wait, I didn't give your entrance music. There you go. Which, how much of this equipment is... All of it. You have to use every single microphone, Alec. <laughs> no, it's just this one. What's that one doing? That's just to get the audience cheers. Okay. Well, because the audience keeps exploding, and when people listen to the podcast, they want to hear all the people. All right. <laughs> so, Alec, uh, thanks for coming to this. How was the HR movie? It's really beautiful, actually. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's a complicated guy with a, an amazing amount of um, history that most of us aren't aware of. Um, he's, he's been through a lot of different things, and... It's in there, and um, yeah, it's pretty uplifting, I would say, in a weird way. Well, we're all going to see it, yeah. but we're not here to talk about that movie. This ain't Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> it's turned out a punk. Yeah. And I'm going to start... The guy did a good job on it. It's really, you gotta, you'll see it. But... We're, we're all going to see it. There's no way. That's like a standard issue kind of movie that I think everyone's going to wind up seeing. Right. You know, like, who doesn't want to see an HR documentary? Harley Flanagan... HR, <laughs> Jerry A. There's certain people that I will see that movie as soon as it comes out. Yeah, that's good. But I want to see the Alec Mackay movie right now. I want to see Alec. How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, uh, my my oldest sister uh, brought home some. She was I can't even begin to. She went to Africa. And was living with the Maasai and something, something. Went to Greece, was picking olives, ended up in England, bought some records, came home for Christmas, and the records she had were Eddie and the Hot Rods, The Damned, uh, Generation X. Um, uh, there was a 10-inch uh, guillotine sampler yeah. um, with X-ray specs on it. Um, anyway, that's that was the first introduction. And then... Um, in that same time, I would see Patti Smith at uh, the McDonough Arena at, at uh, Georgetown University uh, with Root Boy Slim and the Sex Change Band, and and that was amazing. <laughs> I think I was twelve, and yeah. Patti Smith was like flashing the American flag. I mean, um, it was blowing my mind. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where, how'd you? 
Uh, where did you hear Patti Smith for the first time? Were you already a fan by that? No, I'd never heard of her. Um, no, it was a, uh, my next door neighbor's dad uh, was going, and he knew that I was in, like enjoying punk rock or into punk rock, and he's, he kind of like dared me to come with him. <laughs> and he, he paid for the ticket, uh, but I, I, I must have been, I think it was 1978, so I was probably 13. It's just you and your best friend's dad? Oh, no, no, he, his, his son came. Okay, I'm going to be like, <laughs> 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 stay home. I'm still not sure why the yeah. dad did it, but uh, I really, I didn't even, I can't, I can't answer how it all came to be. I just remember being there. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was, so those are my early, uh, yeah. Punk rock memories. Yeah, indeed. So where'd you kind of go from that Patti Smith show? Like, and obviously you've got these punk records now. Like, were you were you aware of other stuff that was kind of happening around locally in America other than Patti Smith at that point? Or no, um, I was really like radio rock person. I was in, totally into skating, mm-hmm. um, listening to just heavy metal on the radio. Um, anything with energy was my music. Uh, but that's the thing that when punk rock, when I first heard. You know, the Ramones and I mean really uh, early punk stuff the energy was like dialed up into a completely different zone that I uh, couldn't even though when I listen to them now some of the pacing is similar but the inner, the actual uh, impetus is so different and that completely telegraphed for me I, I heard that and immediately it was into punk rock um, so so yeah, I didn't know much about uh, music beyond where I was, uh, other than on the radio. But then I did start going to see music locally. I went to uh, Fort Reno, which is a uh, outdoor music place. That uh, I mean, within like three months, I was actually playing. You know, I mean, it wasn't just going and and uh, being in the uh, looking up at the. You weren't a passive observer. Yeah, at that I was point. like, how can I get there? Yeah. Um, uh, but there was there weren't many like uh, high energy bands here then. Um, but then the Bad Brains uh, saw them and uh, and and met them and knew them and they and they that was really like the um, that was a big challenge. You know, like they really they were stepping it up a notch and we were all trying to catch up to them. Do you remember the first time you saw them? I can't tell you the exact like. Show I can't like describe yeah. this show. I can mostly what I remember. My first like completely tangible memory is sitting in a car with HR. My it was my brother's car driving around, and he had a, a 1970 Duster uh, with a tape deck that was wired into the um, dashboard, sitting on the front seat. And then we would we had um, like wooden stereo speakers that we held on our lap in the back, so we could play really loud. <laughs> And That's just like the standard driving around. Yes, and just <laughs> driving around so you can listen to music. That's awesome. Um, and his, uh, it was HR and maybe Daryl, I guess. Um, and I don't even know what we were, we were taking them to go to rehearsal or something, but they were playing us a recording of their like a demo, and you know it's fucking minds being blown. And then as soon as their thing was done, then HR turned to me and like, you know, what do you, what's, what do you, what's your band? What you got going? And I was like, oh no no no. <laughs> and, uh, but he was so like inviting and want, like completely encouraging for everybody around him, and uh, so that's kind of like my first bad brains. Um, that, that's the part that I the the memory that uh, sticks with it the hardest. Were you like a black market babies fan too, or not as much? Yeah, I mean it's funny. Dante and I are very close, but I'm still like 
a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And um, and Black Market Baby, I actually, I remember those guys before they were Black Market. There was a band called Snitch with um, with Boyd and, um, and uh, I keep them. It was, yeah, Paul. But Boyd and Paul would come to shows and Boyd was like this, he's a singer for Black Market and he's got this crazy uh, cataract eye and Looks like a heavy motherfucker. And he is actually not looks like. Um, and he had a. He's like half English, I guess. Like one of his maybe his mother's English, but he'd been to England recently and he had all this cool English stuff. And he had a, a mod shirt with a target on it, and he just wanted people to punch him in the fucking chest as hard as they could. And so he's kind of like the, the like heavy mod guy, like tough. hard mod. Yeah, super hard mod. And, uh, and that's when I was like, these guys are out of control. But, but also, it was really liberating because there was nothing, uh, there was no, I realized there was no old scar at that point, like when, when people like that are in the show. I, I brought it up to Dante earlier, and because you're slightly older, maybe you had a, a bit of more awareness of it. Was there that division between the old scene and, and the new scene of the, you guys kind of coming up? I think so. Um, it's hard to say who who invented it. I mean, yeah. part of me feels like that's what punk rock was all about. It was like it had to destroy the thing before it so it could begin somewhere. Um, and I guess you do that again and again, whoever you are. And actually, it's what I expect from everybody ever is to um, start like just you know. There's a whole. It's a. It's a. I don't want too much baggage for people, but. You have to begin somewhere, and you have to not uh, have too much respect for the past, and you can't be slavish about it. Um, so I think that that was a part of it. But then I do, for sure, when these, uh, like when Teen Idols and Untouchables and, and early DC punk bands became sort of the frontier of hardcore, um, there was a, a whole nother scene ahead of us that were not that impressed um, and had not very encouraging things to say. Um, and granted, we didn't know how to play our instruments, and didn't give a shit about uh, where they were coming. There was a lot of, there was a, you know, was a, a little a chasm there of sorts. Um, but I, there were so many bands that I loved and admired who uh, were not like me, and not like I loved True Facts and mm-hmm. uh, Slicky Boys, and then um, uh, Texer Benowitz. I mean, this is something that I play to people all the time. He, he was like this fifty-year-old. Jewish um, kind of redneck guy who was a, the most amazing country uh, rockabilly guy. I mean, really one of my heroes still, and I have no idea what he's up to now. But I would, I loved going to see Texas Benoit. I mean, I would, we would go with blue hair and all this shit, and just a bunch of like older rednecky people like, who the fuck is this happening? So there was a lot of blending, you know, like it really was a blended thing. Uh, what about White Boy? Did you ever? You, uh, I never saw them. I, I love their records. Yeah, the records. Um, yeah, um, I knew I knew them. I knew all about them. It was really this peripheral thing, but I just never got to see them live. Well, this, I, I, you know, probably because you didn't live. They always felt like they were separate from even the limp scene. Like it's almost like they're like their little island unto themselves. I suppose. I mean, they like other people. They made their own record labels. Mm-hmm. They put out their record label, mm-hmm. record label called Doodly Squat. Um, and it really was the you know it was a, a father and son you know team and then they uh, whoever else played I can't remember um, but they yeah they, I guess they're a little bit separate but no uh, I don't I, there was not 
It's hard to say. I mean, there wasn't. It was. It was still. You'd go see anybody. I mean, there really wasn't uh, tip, uh, deliberate separation. Well, you, you brought the Untouchables. How did that? How, like you, you know, touched on it a little bit. How did that come together? Like, how did you put that together? Like, you're a kid. Mm-hmm. I was 14. <laughs> um, let's see. I just started at high school and. There was guys a little bit older, a year older than me, who wanted to get a band together. It was, um, uh, Eddie Janney and Bert Kiros, and they wanted to start a band, and then they just decided that I should be in the band. Um, and I said, okay, you know, but it was up in the air who was going to play what. Eddie was the only person who knew how to play an instrument, like, kind of legitimately. And then we needed a drummer, so we got a guy who had a driver's license, and it was old enough to actually drive a car. The key. Right, so Richard Moore was in the band, and... And uh, and at first I think I was the drummer, but then I, I lived in a row house. I couldn't practice because it was too loud. I had a neighbor who didn't like that, <laughs> and uh, so Richard, and you didn't drive too. No, yeah. So uh, so Richard became the drummer, and he was also friends with Jeff Nelson. So Jeff gave him a drum set, and um, and then I sang, and Bert decided to play, and so forth. So you know you're super young playing, but like. It's such a key pivotal band to be in. Did it? Was there like a following in your high school? Like, what would it be like to be a fourteen-year-old kid that was in like a popular band? Because I was a fourteen-year-old kid in a terrible band that no one liked. Me too. Well, really, no one liked you guys at the time. You don't think? No. Oh, hell no. I mean, later on, maybe after two years, but yeah. In the beginning, no. I, I literally got uh, beaten to a pulp on stage. Yeah. Playing really? at that at Fort Reno. Is this? What's this mic doing? Was this? That's what that's recording you. So this is recording. This no, this, 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 that's just for the audience ambient. And what's that? This is for the podcast itself that's going into the thing. I'm just asking. No, just, ask away, like, believe like, me. Like, if you can figure out, if you can figure out, if anyone can bring me up more microphones. It's fine. Um, that's a nice one, too. I've got this one here, too. There we go. Um, yeah, the Untouchables, we, we really didn't, uh, you know, I think Dante sort of talked about the same thing, where we didn't, we began to make music, but never really, it was kind of like our friends can hear this music. Mm-hmm. And then maybe somebody, like our neighborhood or something like this region. Or definitely your neighbor next door was hearing your drumming. Right, well, he actually, he, he had a heart attack, so I don't want to talk about it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it wasn't my fault, but I worried about that sometimes. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, was, he was pretty grumpy. Um, <laughs> What am I talking about? So, so, we didn't have like a follow. We just were like making music, and also, in spite of everything, making music. Like there was nobody truly encouraging us, except for really the closest people around us. Um, and, and we were figuring it out as we went. But like I remember rehearsing. We would go to this um, a neighborhood planning council that they agreed to let us use the back room after closing. And it's a freestanding building, you know, so it should be okay. If you wait, just wait, you know, like one hour until everybody leaves. And we would wait like 37 minutes and just like, oh, fuck that. We're going to start playing. And we'd lock all the doors, draw the <laughs> curtains and start and rehearsing. And then they would call the police. And we could hear the police like banging on the door. And we'd just keep the, you know, just don't let the feedback stop because we can't hear you. And then we'd... You know, just run through our set three times, and then to get, like go open the door, like oh hi, hello, what? And uh, so we kind of did things in spite of everything, um, but it came together, and we began to play more shows. And uh, but I think that our the the way that we were playing, yeah, I did. Uh, you're right. I mean, later on there um, there was some interest, and, and uh, I guess it had some sort of an impact. And um, 
know what the beginning of that question was. Well, I think it was just I, I think it was just about being in high school and kind of like being in a band. Like I, I think for me also, there's like this fantasy that everyone in your high school would have been a punk kid. Yeah. It, it was not like that at all. I imagine. Yeah, I went to a large high school, um, in a large population, large building even, and the year that I started, my brother was still there, so I was tight with him and all of his friends. Then they all graduated. And then I was basically alone. It was like me and Chris Bald and Brendan Canty. And, but there was like 3,000 kids there. Yeah. And then like four punk rockers. And also, the, you know, it was a, just an urban school. I mean, it was tough. And it was also the 1980s. Uh, this city was com- like, I don't know how many of you people can remember the 1980s in Washington, D.C., but this is a different town. I mean, it's. Extremely, uh, I mean, teachers are being shot in the school, mm-hmm. um, and it's not not even reported in the paper. Mm-hmm. So, like mm-hmm. that sucks. But now somebody brings a gun somewhere in the city limits, and the whole place goes nuts. It's like there are guns everywhere. Like mm-hmm. it was a very different situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to that school, then that wasn't. I mean, my solace, my team, my crew, the places I went was after school. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sometimes during school um, <laughs> and leaving school and uh, but, but we'd go out and go to shows and, and uh, that's that was a completely different thing looking outside of kind of like what was happening in DC at the time what were some of the other hardcore bands that you were like really into oh my god uh, many I mean I will tell you that uh, um, you know what they call a chirotic moment <coughs> this is a time outside of time it's not about um this is when the world changes completely. I was seeing DOA yeah. um, at, at Madame's Organ. Uh, they just showed up in a van. They'd driven all, I'd never seen a band do this before. They'd driven all around this continent, not just this country, but this continent. Uh, they showed up to play in, this, in a living room of a squat, uh, and they killed it, and they played for hours. And when... We wouldn't let them leave. They would just they would just piss in the bottle and keep going. I mean, honestly, Dave Gregg pissed in the bottle and just kept on going. And then they ran off the stage and didn't unplug their apps and pulled everything down and went out to the van, smoked a bunch of pot. Everybody's still cheering. They came back in. So they, when they played some more, um, and I just they were amazing. Uh, such an incredible energy. Um, they played with the enzymes at Adams uh, Organ. So that was a big deal for me. Uh, they never really get the credit because they're 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 the one that taught Black Flag from what you hear. Huge. I mean, it's really you know, it's also amazing they've continued, but then mm-hmm. they've done some really stinker records. I mean, don't tell them that. I said that, but <laughs> yeah. stuck. But what are you gonna do? I don't know. Marijuana motherfucker would not have cut it on Hardcore Eighty One. I'm still thinking like Let's Wreck the Party. I was like, that's I can see there's not even a chain on the chainsaw. The Let's Wreck the Party thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a setup. But but they. They're, you know, they are, on, in other ways, some of the heaviest guys, and also like subhumans. I mean, they're really mm-hmm. kind of like, as far as being uh, the real deal, po- politically, philosophically. Um, well, he would go. To, he went to jail for right. his beliefs. Like yes. he ultimately. Correct. I mean, I was like, whoa! You're not just talking about it. You're yeah. not like wearing a shirt. You're actually breaking into a factory and trying to destroy uh, weapons of war. Yeah, blowing up munitions factories. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, they meant it. So, yeah. And that was really, those are examples, you know, not, not I, it made me actually really then think about, are we playing a game here? Who's, you know, who's serious and who's not? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So a lot of so those are bands that I thought were pretty impressive. Um, mm-hmm. But there are so many. I mean, I really can't even begin to you know list. But I've always been fascinated by the sort of like connection between uh, like what's happening in Texas and what's mm-hmm. happening in D.C. And there's almost like the Texas big boys specifically yeah. influence when that kind of begins to kind of enter what's happening in this city, mm-hmm. things take a change. Was Were you a fan of them at all, or is oh, that? Massive, of course, yeah. yeah. No, like, yeah. Um, that's touching my chest, that's good friends. Um, but yeah, they- I was uh, worried you were doing your neighbor impression or something. Oh, no, no, <laughs> Red Fox. Yeah. Um, no, that's a really old joke. Um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, I think that really comes out of minor. Th- Let's see. Here's my theory. Mm-hmm. Black Flag, you know, sort of they invented the internet of punk or something. Like they toured um, in a way that was. So they made all these connections with people. They stayed in people's houses, and and there was this suddenly a currency. There's a, a current that can go around the country, and then Minor Threat did a tour probably the, the year after, let's say. I can't say exactly, but they did a tour. Um, and they ended up in, in Texas. And by then, Discord had really um, spread far enough, so they were, you know, they were known when they got there. They had, they had a real uh, a fan base. Um, but they made connections all, the, all along the way and kept them. And then the year after that, I remember going with my brother. Basically, he spent like a on a tour visiting. Like we just got in that huh. same, yeah, the same car, the 1970 Duster's Green. Um, we drove from here to Austin, basically without stopping. Um, we went to Austin and hung out with the big boys, um, saw Scratch Ads its first show, um, saw the uh, Butthole Surfers, when they're called the Jack Officers. Like all this, we just hung out for like a week. With, Pretty awesome trip. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, went from there, and then and Biscuit helped us um, the, the radiator failed, so we had to go to a junkyard, buy a, and so Biscuit is like, you know, 300 pound transvestite, it takes us to a junkyard, and we're like haggling with these guys about how much to pay for it, and he's like, oh yeah, it's gonna be easy to put this in, so we're, we change the, the radiator and fix the car, drive to LA, meet um, uh, all of you stay at SST in the in Hermosa Beach, and uh, Ian's like jamming with all the guys in Black Flag, and um, we hang out there, and then we go up to uh, San Francisco and, and stay with Tim O'Hannon, who helped him uh, do Maximum Rock and Roll, take everything to, you know, we went to Reno, stayed with the Rex, Bessie from the Rex. Yeah. And basically just went on a visiting tour, and and that actually is something I still do. Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm, I do, I, I do these career trips for my job, and if I'm in a town, I will call somebody. I'm like, hey, what do you, I'm, I'm in your town, let's get, have coffee or whatever, and, um, and still do that kind of thing. It's just um, so I'm not sure what the core of that is, but that's really you know there's that's with the uh, Austin really there was a huge uh, early connection. Yeah, and it's like if you if you're thinking of like uh, you know two scenes that seem very div- divisive on the surface, it's like it's like the what's happening at least the perception of this sort of like teetotaler DC scene versus the sort of like wild party Austin thing, but there's almost this like DIY yeah, like ethos. That's I think that there should be, uh, you should consider what the impetus is, why people do the things they do, like mm-hmm. whether it's whatever you're into. Um, 
but there's a respect beyond like, just people pick their path and then you um, you appreciate them for what they're doing um, so I don't even that wasn't really even taken into account certainly not that long ago I mean we just did what we did because it was right for us um, and uh, you know I never even really considered what other people were up to personally I mean I, you know, I just picked my thing but um, but also, you know, they came up here and played amazing shows. They played at, uh, uh, Big Boys played at Psychedelic and Biscuit had all, made a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and put them in his armpits. And uh, we walked out in the crowds, like, handing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from his armpits. And those are things that really inspire me, you know? Yeah. So then, friend for life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I could, as I say, like, there's every guest tonight I could punish for the whole night, and, but I got to let you go and live your life as much as I want you to just stay in the car with us and tell us stories for the rest of the trip. But I want to kind of find out where did the melody influence kind of come in when you, when faith kind of forms? Cause I think that's like the, the melodic side of faith. I'm finding that out now actually, cause you know, there's uh, these sort of, there's a re-examination of faith and we didn't really talk about much and we just did what we did. <laughs> And then we stopped talking to each other <laughs> more about that anyway. Um, so we, I guess Michael Hampton really just brought in some stuff. And then because we had um, Eddie Janney playing guitar, he was able to explore. Um, mm -hmm. But I can't say exactly. Um, it just kind of developed. And it's um, and I'll, we'll find out because I guess they, I think John's doing some zine or something. So he's, he's got it now. He's working on it. Yeah, he's, he's getting to the bottom of those things. <laughs> but wait, I'm supposed to tell you the story of I bought the first Misfits single for a dollar. Oh, yeah. I, I, I definitely, we can talk. You're a record collector, right? Or I'm what Henry calls a, uh, Rollins calls a, a casual collector. Uh, okay. I have a, apparently a good record collection by accident. I imagine it's a fantastic record collection. Uh, well, let's hear how one of these fantastic pieces wound up seconds. in there. But basically, going up to New York, to, I think we were going to a show, but we really were also record shopping, and went into 99 Records on Bleecker Street, and I saw they, they just had this Misfits thing, and I thought it was a, a fake um, Misfits thing because it looked so new wavy and strange, it's called Cough Cool. And I was like, oh, you know, what's this thing about? And the guy said, oh, that, oh, that's a dollar. And then everybody, the, everybody with me, like, oh, do you have any more of those? And the guy had like two more. So everybody <laughs> bought, but, um, but really, we weren't even sure if it was real. And then when I played, I was like, this can't be the same band. I have no idea. I had only heard the uh, Teenagers from Mars, but it was so radically different. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's all it was. But anyway, it's a pretty. It's a great record. So it's, it's worth a, a dollar. Definitely worth a dollar. <laughs> do, you, do you want to double your money? Um, I didn't bring it today. Dante had one too. I think you you cut. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Dante actually cut out when he got a uh, jukebox for his first record. You guys would kill me. Yeah, he got a one-inch drill bit and drilled out all his like collectible records so he could stock his his. Um, Box with real you were your own mom throwing out all your baseball cards. I painted, all my, painted a bunch of Iron Cross singles so I could cut them out and put them on the jukebox. It was, it was, <laughs> no, it was, it was a good jukebox. Yeah. It, was a, it sounds like the, 
the most valuable jukebox I could ever come across. That's one to listen to. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I actually have a couple more questions for you. Okay. What did you feel like the first time you saw the cover of An Amp Come the Wolves, the Rancid record? Did you think you did, like? I recognized it. <laughs> you recognized it? <laughs> It's fine. I don't know. I mean, something to do. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I guess the final one is because my my first exposure to DC hardcore in any real way was Sonic Youth covering Nick Fit, and mm -hmm. that was where I was exposed to it. And I guess like, how does it feel Wait, like that's your first exposure to? DC Hardcore. Really? Yeah, like that record that came... That is like 900 years after the beginning of DC Hardcore. Go on. I'm 900 years younger than DC Hardcore. <laughs> no, that record came out when I was 12. And I bought it. And like, you know, at the time, you know, we're, we're post-Nirvana. Um, so, you know, punk is back in kind of like the, the mainstream kind of thing. But, but that record was like, I heard it. And I like, you know, I love Sonic Youth. But that song was different than all the other songs in that record. To this day, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> it's so... <laughs> yeah. Steve Shelley called me and he's like, you know, we're trying to put together this album. Uh, would you mind if we threw on this? We have a recording of us doing, a, you know, Untouchable song. I was like, if you want to do it, go for it. I mean, I can't... Whatever. There was no... I gave him permission. Then he called back and he's like, can we give you a little bit of money? And I was like, I, as long as I don't have to sign anything, I don't care. <laughs> And then, it got really, then uh, he said, how about if we give you a Nickel record? And then like an hour later, the lawyer calls him, uh, we need to renegotiate. <laughs> a and Nickel I was, like, I was like, first off, who, who, who am I talking to? Like, he's like, do you have a lawyer now? Like, what's going on? So it, it changed radically. Um, but because I had no idea what they're, because I didn't know what they even signed. So I didn't know what they were up to. I mean, it was, um, but yeah, that was, a, that was pretty interesting because it really was this other uh, taking that really early thing and putting it um, into another, uh, I don't know what you call that, I mean, it pulled it into Another light, yeah, like, like I, I don't know, also for me was like, you know, I look back on that and like, the, it's almost like that's showing that there is this lineage, that there would be no Nirvana Sonic Youth without the work and the, the groundwork that was laid by all these people before, like that's... Yeah. Well, they were really, I mean, I, I, at times, I, you know, I used to see them, they'd come play at the 930 Club when I was working there, and I was never even sure if they, I thought they were sometimes making fun of me, like, they always wanted me to come down and hang out, you know, and, and I thought, like, oh, they, they're, like, how can they like this kind of music for real? They're super smart, arty people, and I just wasn't sure. Um, but they really, you know, I think came from that. I think they understand the energy. I mean, this is what I was talking about before, was the, the impetus, like the, the energy, the impetus, the, the drive. Um, so that was real for them, and uh, so it wasn't a joke. And then, so they did, you know, pick that song. It was kind of random, mm -hmm. um, but they really, in their in their work, they've always been very. Um, um, they've brought all the pieces along with them. I mean, that's one thing that I think is really. And that is art, actually. That's, that's what a visual artist is. When they're really successful, they can bring in, and even though it's a simple thing that they're doing, um, everything that they've uh, consumed is, is uh, embedded in there, and you can, you can have it all. And I think they did a really good job with that in general. And even as they got, when you know, the year the pump broke, all that stuff was going on, they were very, um, you know, they're bringing people along if you want to come. Like, mm -hmm. this is going crazy, 
we can help you or not. Like, but mostly we just respect you. Just respect you. I have to say that slowly so that you don't get me wrong. But, um, but they, so they, that's, um, it seemed like that was the case. And, and they continued in that way. I mean, you know, it, it's, but I, I, yeah, why they picked that, I have no idea. <laughs> well, Alec, will you do a part two at some point? Sure. This has been awesome. Thank you so much Thanks for coming up here and doing yeah. it. Alec! I just need the top one. I just need the top one. You can have Dante. I, I need a memory. This is this is the this is the this is the uh, Iron Cross on green of tonight's performance, my friend. So it is going home with me. I'm gonna get tattooed. It's right beside my new tattoo of Matt, my friend Matt DeLong. Uh, I forgot to ask you why you didn't sing the uh, Iron Cross song with Dinosaur. Why I didn't sing the Iron Cross song with Dinosaur? Okay, I was supposed to come here and perform with Dante, and it's like... In New York. In New York. Well, I meant to come to America at Dinosaur's anniversary for uh, being all over you, right? And living all over you. And, and I went to see him. I was going to go see the show. I got back from a tour. We, had, we just had our second child. And I had like this like nervous breakdown and I called Jay and I'm like, Jay, I can't come. And I'm like, I'm like almost breaking down in tears. I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, I feel like I let you down. And, and like, I'm really sorry, man. Like, I know I really want to do this. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, apologize to everyone else for me. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Come here, Chris. Oh God, that's gonna sound terrible in the episode when that microphone span around smashing the table. Uh, welcome back to the show. I think this is gonna be it. Yeah. I don't think we need to do that awkward, we tried to do this awkward panel thing yesterday and it was just like, <laughs> everyone got up there and they're like, what are we gonna all talk about? So we're not gonna force you to endure that, but Chris, what a night. It's a bucket list night. Don't tell Boston, but I had more fun before. tonight than Boston. Never been here before. I've never, you've never. never been here at all? Never. First time. What a first time. So where should, he go, where should a vegan straight edge <laughs> record collector go party after the show tonight is the question you want to ask these people. Puccini's. Puccini's? Duccini's. All right. We'll find that out. I don't know what that is. I don't know what Duccini's is either. <laughs> this is a new mystery for us Sounds to uncover. Good. To the mystery machine. If they, want, if they want to open up that record store, we'll go for a late night round. Cease and desist. Hands up, Gene! <laughs> no more. Yes, hands up, Gene! Gene's got the keys. It's his store, dude. Wait, but Jason, there was someone that sent me a text. They were driving in the car today, and this text comes in. It's like, He's like, dude. WWE is in town tomorrow, and after the show, we will go hang out with WWE wrestlers. And I said, Jason, I fucking love you. <laughs> and now you're telling me that I have to go to some record store instead of hanging out with my favorite wrestlers? I'm Fine, I'm gonna do both. <laughs> Gene, if you open this record store, Chris and I will do the one if thing we promised each other. Yeah, we, we will do the one thing we promised each other we weren't gonna do anymore on this yeah, tour, true. which is buy records. True. In the past day, we've been record shopping twice. Yeah. When in Rome, as they say. This is like the worst, worst <laughs> idea. Just two record collectors with no one looking out. For, 
for uh, their finances or uh, their children. Or That's true. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, we can just go over and, and steal Dante's jukebox and uh, get all these converted 45s. Slightly mutilated. Slightly mutilated. <laughs> Condition, slightly mutilated on Discogs. Uh, Chris. What are we, what am I gonna say? To what are we talking? Like, there's just so much shit. I say every, I, 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 there's, I feel like I can't say anything. I know. I have no right to say anything about. I it. kind of think though, like, I, if I was, we're going back to the theme of tattoos. I might get a full back piece of Ian, Alec, HR, and Daryl. Sitting in a car yeah, with actually, HR you're right. and Alec holding speakers in the back seat. <laughs> that what that visual as a full back piece. Yeah, no, dude, don't do it now. Like, I think I should. Did anyone have a tattoo shop they can open up after the show? I've got some real good ideas. Anyone who says that marijuana is a drug. It would have prevented me from getting a full back piece tattoo of this car scene. So everyone remember that. Um, that's legal here, by the way, I hear, Chris, so you can break straight edge tonight no, without fear of legality. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. The two things Damien and I don't relate on terribly are wrestling and uh, what he just mentioned. Oh, and, and also, with, with utmost respect. Chris likes all this shit called sports <laughs> that is not wrestling, <laughs> and it sucks. <laughs> this is true. You know, but uh, what a fun night. Totally. Thank you all for coming. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, thank you to all the guests. Thank you to, to Black Hat for letting us show up late because of insane traffic. But uh, this has been so much fun. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for being yeah. here. I got my prize. Let's go buy records. <laughs> Hopefully, please. Play the exit music. What would the exit music be, Chris? It's the same thing you've been playing entirely. No, it's a different song this time. Crucified. Shirts for sale. If you want to buy shirts, shorts. I have jorts, no effects jorts for sale. You can buy them. They're slightly used, but they still say no effects. No, but I have shirts for sale. If you want to buy a Turn Out a Punk Live shirt, let me know. Thank you, everyone, for coming on the show. That was incredible. All those people will be back for hopefully more parts. Jason. Uh, we'll be back for a part three. He's got to join the part three club because he's got stories for days and days and days. And of course we will do part twos with everyone else because I got a lot more to get to. I ran out of time. I really, really ran out of time. I hope you enjoyed that. I really, oh man, I had a blast doing it. Oh, I had such a blast doing it. Uh, next week on the show, 
as I said, we keep going from strength to strength. Next week on the show, it is live from Philadelphia, and we have on it Andy and and Dan from Paint It Black. Dan, of course, also in Lifetime and Kid Dynamite, and and you know, you know, and Andy, of course, is also in Ceremony, and you know, tons of other amazing bands that we will, of course, talk about on the show. And was wearing one of the most amazing jackets I've ever seen in my life. More on that next week on the show. We also have on the show Jeff Cannonball back for a part two. And this time we get to kind of do a, uh, a catch-up with him since he uh, has made uh, such a splash on the internet as the scene-stealing kind of star, I guess, of or, or almost star of that Tournament of Death documentary that I did for Vice. Anyway, Jeff's on the show and he's going to talk about all the sorts of strange reactions that he's had um, since that thing came out. Also, Jay Goldberg's on the show from Bad Luck 13 and from uh, Eat the Turnbuckle, one of the most unbelievable live bands I've ever seen, which I got to see them at the aforementioned Tournament of Death. Um, And also, finally, you know, last but not least, certainly not least, a legend, a fucking Philadelphia hardcore punk legend Jackal from Why Die is on the show next week and I <laughs> I'm uh, I'm telling you this, this, this thing couldn't get any better but it does because starting it all off next week we have a very 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 special guest maybe a legend you know, I can't even say beyond Jackal's legend, but maybe on par with Jackal's legend. Next week on the show, live from Philadelphia, Philadelphia legend, Philly Boy Roy. Philly Boy Roy is on the show next week, as well as everyone else I mentioned. I'm, I, you know, I, I can't. I can't begin to tell you how excited I am for all of you to hear this next week. These live things turned out awesome. I got to say thank you again to Chris O'Toole. I love you, buddy. Driving uh, me and you across the East Coast of the United States during blizzards and beautiful weather too, but and then still getting on stage and sharing these moments with me. And next week, you will get to share another one of these moments with us too. So I will see you next week. Remember... Anyone can do this shit. Go out there and make your own culture. Start a band. Start a fanzine. I guess start a podcast. <laughs> start a start a whatever. Do something. Do something because you know you got to get involved. You got to be active in it. Um, you know, in the spirit of DC, I will see you on footnotes. We're gonna have a monstrous footnotes this week with all. I think all the correspondents will be there. Hopefully, Dave Martin, Dave Ackerman, David Up, and of course Chris O'Toole and myself to talk about this episode to dissect this. A uh, beautiful beast of an episode. Anyway, I will see you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. <laughs>